I'm Sterling Hershey, freelancer for Wizards of the Coast and the Star Wars role-playing game and miniatures game, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. And FFG, too. The BBC would like to announce that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. Broadcast live on D20 Radio's Justin TV channel. You're listening to the Order 66 podcast. Brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and MapsOfMastery.com. Welcome back, boys and girls. This is the Order 66 podcast, and this is a weird Saturday night program, but hey, guess what? It's Super Bowl tomorrow, so we're going Saturday night. Plus, we wanted to have these two intrepid guests on that could only make it tonight, but we'll get to that in just a second. I'm GM Dave. I'll be one of your hosts tonight. With me, as usual, one of the three. By the way, we're down one today. We have a paper dune today. Mr. Chris will not be joining us, but we will have the dusky dulcets of Mr. GM Phil. Salutations, Gamer Nation from the frozen Northeast. It is I. Happy to be here for the original podcast all about Star Wars role-playing, and we have a hell of a show for you tonight. Yes, we do. We have a fantastic show for you tonight. We have a couple of guys that you would know from, oh, say, Fantasy Flight Games, and uh, we'll be getting to those two gentlemans here in like, oh, I don't know, about a minute or two. But first we're going to go through just a couple of announcements and things. What do you say, Phil? I think that's a great idea. All right, awesome. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. In my own defense, I have not been the producer of this show in a good solid nine months. But that's no excuse. You know? Your commentary is noted. If you're a if you're a professional radio personality, you need to be able to get over that. You need to you need to be better than that. You need to not be one of these. <laughs> And I suppose we, that actually is a nice segue into into how we're broadcasting tonight, huh? Ah, yes. For those of you, yes, those of you that joined us, great, wonderful. Today we finally, finally, realize the dream of a video podcast. We are coming to you live via Twitch TV today. Of course, those of you listening now, sure, you can go to Twitch TV slash D20 Radio if you want to, but you won't see anything. So, um... The next step, now that we know we can broadcast, the next step is to somehow record these things and like keep them on our feed, which is really what we want to do next. It's something that we actually promised during our, our Kickstarter thing that we said we were going to do it. We have the technology to do it, so I think that uh, I think that I'll be back in the producer's chair and we'll be able to do it from here on forward, because I think I, I figured it out finally. 
I think I'm going to have to make sure I keep my broadcast room clean. Well, you know me too, right? So <laughs> you've got my This Edition Sucks in the T-shirt and back there, but you know, hey, what are you going to do? Anyway, featured podcast this week, dude. The Save or Die podcast recently yes. dropped episode 103. They're over the century mark. Can you believe it? Amazing. Yeah, it's called Save vs. Skills, devoted to the original box sets of D&D. DMs Mike, Liz, and Jim are in rare form this episode, and they dig hard into the skill debate of the original box set, or rather, the lack of skills. And, you know, there's amazing insight in there to be heard. And they also delve into the recent module from Small Niche Games, The Shrine of St. Alina, which is really kind of an homage to Mincer basic D&D set, right? So... That's a great episode. The discussion of their skills will rec- uh, will really help any D&D player, regardless of what age or edition you're playing. And, of course, you can find this and many other great podcasts at d20radio.com. Over on the FFG side of the news, we had a recent uh, news article titled Brutality and Brains. It was a preview for the new species that are presented in the Lords of Nalhutta. Uh, in this, aside from the aforementioned huts... Uh, which is just absolutely awesome that we're going to be able to get to play for PC stats. Uh, we got three new races as well, as far as the stat blocks go. Uh, the Niktu, the Sekians, and the very obscure and rarely seen Ganks. Um, Niktu <laughs> sound like they will have their five flavors of Niktu that we've seen in various uh, incarnations of the EU. These secretive ganks, uh, they're rarely seen, very obscure, very secretive, and they start with multiple cybernetic implants. Very curious to see how that all works out. And the Sakians, experts at stealth and cunning. Also included in the article, they talk about more cybernetic implants, adrenal implants that grant talent ranks, internal comms that work like telepathy, and even some kind of cyber melee weapon called the Repulsor Fist. Lords of Nalhutta is due much any day now, so uh, we're just waiting for that to uh, come off the boat and start shipping out the stores. Any day now. You know, the, the, the running joke was that Chris and I got to beta test this thing for FFG. <laughs> I swear to God, it was in 2013. I, I swear. <laughs> um... It, it 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 obviously was after it was it was after uh, Gen Con 2013. I don't remember if it was early 2014 or not. But the big joke was that was Ryan Brooks' first content, and then it's like the last book to get released. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor yeah, Ryan like... keeps getting uh, his content keeps getting delayed. So yeah, it's unfortunate oh, for oh. him. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah, and I'm like, uh, I'm like, uh, Capple with the whole gank thing. Yeah, I'm gonna gank you, fool. You know, <laughs> to me, gank is more of a verb than it is a a, a type of of uh, species. Anyway, you yeah, guys, exactly. um, follow us on the Twitter and the D20 Radio and all that stuff uh, on Facebook and whatnot. Facebook, we've got a D20 Radio group. Twitter, we're at D20 Radio. At Darth GM or at GM Chris at GM Dave, lots of ways for you to follow us. Yep. And of course, there's d20radio.com/forums. You guys log on and post up and tweet, and we'll see it. And we might respond to it. Of course, we're going to respond to a lot now. Mm-hmm. So, do we have a Star Wars adventure of the week to procure? Well, you know, from what I understand, yes, we do. And it's amazing that uh, they were able to get one done. However, we're going to play it for you right now. 
Welcome to Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures on Twitter this week. To hide the fact that Alliance Intelligence has broken a major Imperial code, the PCs must capture an ISB agent and make it look like he turned. This has been Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures. For more adventure ideas in 140 characters or less, be sure to follow SWRPG Adventures on Twitter. And remember, keep adventuring! Well, you know, that always makes me laugh. I don't know why. It's a good intro. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I, it's a yeah. good. It's a good bit. I dig it. It is. And it that's is. a neat. That's a neat concept too. I know. It is cool. So you know that. That being said, we we are gonna just jump right into this whole thing, right? So let's see about what we have in store for you. Uh-huh. Right down the brass tacks, right? So we are going to welcome back D20 Radio's own Andrew Fisher, lead developer at Fantasy Flight Games, ace pilot extraordinaire, and the lead on our topic of discussion tonight, which is an in-depth dive into the Aces source book, Stay on Target. Hello, Mr. Fish. Hey, good to be on. Ah, yes. So, keeping with the theme... And he brought a wingman, right? And uh, from what we understand, Andy frequently has this guy cover his six, and he's going to be doing so again on tonight's discussion. And it is our pleasure to welcome back the Starship Guru, FFG freelancer extraordinaire, Jason Marker. How you doing? Hey, nerds. How's it going? Hey, nerds. <laughs> I prefer to think of myself as a geek, man. <laughs> But that's all right, dude. You know what? It is. Uh, we're so glad you guys are here. Um, it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the show without you, and we probably wouldn't have gotten the number of questions that we got if you guys hadn't that's been true. on the show. So uh, I'm excited to be here. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. You know, that's yeah. that's one of those things we uh, we like having guests who like to be here. It's it's a general rule. If you express uh, if you don't like to be here, then we typically don't invite you back. Just you I know. well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when was the last time you heard Whitwer? See, that's what I'm talking about. So anyway, we've gathered up your questions, and we've uh, added, kind of added our own to uh, to pepper Jason and Fish with a high-speed Q&A that takes us into the depths of space in this source book, of course. So um, what do you say, Phil? You want to lock up our S-foils and uh, target computer ready and all that jazz? And let's stand by and hear our questions tonight. On the Order 66 podcast. Yes. How about it? I think that I'm very excited to start going over this book, uh, especially ever since I got the chance to play test it many, many moons ago. Ah, yes. I've, I've been looking forward to this discussion for, what, eight, nine months now? Something like that? Mm. Mm. So let's, let's start with some very general questions. Um, Andrew, Jason... Questions about the yes. development book uh, and it, its its origins. Uh, what 
inspired you guys to start with Aces. This is the first source book we've had with a red cover. So what led to Aces being the first career to get some splat book love? Isn't A the first letter in the alphabet? <laughs> yeah, it's just totally <laughs> alphabetical, you know. Yeah. Excellent, I, um... excellent. <laughs> Wait, let me see. No, no, we, we haven't done that. All right. I, I was, uh, we started with explorers <laughs> over in Edge of the Empire. Um, I was about to say, there's no. a whole bunch of people waiting for that bounty hunter book and they're like chomping at the bit for it. So <laughs> if you say, oh, it's alphabetical, <laughs> if you say, oh, it's alphabetical, they'll be knocking on your door tomorrow. I know. Man, man I, I said that and the forums just blew up. <laughs> <laughs> they took you absolutely seriously too I remember that thread like oh my god Commodore's next whatever I'm like really guys <laughs> um, no we a lot of uh, different factors go into what supplements we release first so um, it's part partly our decision partly management's decision um, a lot of things go into it Ace was just felt to us like the right place to start for Age of Rebellion um, we did a lot of research uh, on different stuff um, you know, primarily our, our go-to sources are always the movies, um, both the prequels and the original trilogy. And, of course, the X-Wing novels uh, were a big source of inspiration for us in uh, for this book. I saw that very nice nod there to Mr. Aaron Alston. Thank you for that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I believe uh, Keith was responsible for that one, if yeah, I Keith remember that, right. Keith, Keith slipped that one in there. Very nicely done, man. Yes. I, I I appreciate that. I, I got to hang out with Aaron a couple times before he passed away, and he's a real good friend to some very good friends of mine. So it, it was yeah. it was nice to see that nod in there. So thank you for that. Yeah, Keith's in the chat room right now too. So he's going to yep, hear his name you, here in about four seconds. Good shot, sir. After our fifteen second delay expires. So getting back to the book and and its development. Um, Again, massive, massive props to, to Zoe and company for the artwork they put together in this book. Uh, once again, it's another beautiful, gorgeous book, and I, there are several pieces of art that I absolutely love here. Um, but we actually, we have a first question coming from, great, from Crazy Birdman, who asked, I remember seeing, I remember them saying that pictures in the Explorer book told the story. Is that the case in this book, or in any other book for that matter? Uh, no, no. Unfortunately, no uh, a story in this book. Um, we uh, we had so many different things to cover. We didn't want to like hamper the art by stringing along a single narrative like we did in like the Explorer book. So uh, all of this art kind of stands on its own in this case. And speaking of standing on their own, I do absolutely love the page ten picture of that B-wing pilot with the. Ever so slight Imperial Cog tattoo on his neck. Um, yeah. Crazy Birdman's follow-up question. What's the inspiration for the guy with the Imperial Cog tattoo? There you go. Yeah, that's, that was actually uh, Zoe's doing. Originally, he didn't have the uh, um, the Cog, and she kind of wanted more of a story behind the art, so we kind of talked about it. And, you know, um, she felt that, you know, a lot of Rebel pilots come from Imperial Academies, so... You know, to kind of build that into this guy, they had him have the cog. Um, so, you know, he, he was likely Imperial at one point and defected to the Rebellion. Thomas and he's super awesome he's a B-Wing pilot. Absolutely. Yeah. B-Wing. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I agree with that. I, I want to I wanna, I wanna take this all the way to the end uh, first, and then we'll come back. But what's your favorite part of the book, Andy? 
favorite part of the book? Hmm, that's tricky. Uh, I had uh, my heart in a few different sections. I, I think my favorite part is the hotshot specialization, mainly because uh, when we were playtesting Age of Rebellion, I I played as a uh, an ace character, and the hotshot was basically built to be his tree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted more flashy things to be done, so I was like, all right, I'm going to build a tree for my character. Um, I mean, it's, it's an archetype we wanted to fill anyway, but uh, right. so that's probably my favorite part. I love that tree. I can't wait till we get to it. Yeah, me what too. What about you, Jason? Um, I really dig the rigor um, because a lot of characters that I play are mechanics anyway. Sure. And, um, man, I really like the astromech stuff. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. Who did that? Yeah, that, uh, that was John Crowdus. John, yeah. I think, is yep. John is John in the chat? Don't wait for he the is. translation. He's Agatheron. Okay, that's oh, that's what I thought. I thought that I, I thought that was him in there, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. So I kind of threw that softball out there. So yeah, no, th- those rules are those rules are very handy. They're cool, yeah. Especially like you know, I I know Chris probably just creamed when he saw it because he loves you know R two R two's like a, got a special place in his heart. He's uh, he's convinced that that uh, that that little droid was the key to the entire first you know the original trilogy. Sure. But, uh, you know, and I, I would tend to agree in some cases, you know, at least uh, with his reasoning, I, you know, it's really, really great. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm so excited that we have like the, almost the entire dev team in here, either in chat. That or, is kind of here. awesome, really. Yeah, it yeah. really is cool. And then, yeah. But, so uh, since we've got everyone in there, everyone, everyone around, um, <laughs> let's get into this because we've got three very solid chapters. And that's one of the things that really impressed me about this book is that all three of these chapters are extremely useful and full of such useful information. Uh, so let's start with uh, the Species, Specializations, and Talents chapter. Um, right at the beginning, new duties. Uh, several were included and made their way into Stay on Target. Uh, air superiority and ground superiority. I like that slight change from uh, from space superiority. It it kind of opens it up to, to more options and more focus. Uh, but one of the things I really, really dug was this placard hunter uh, uh, duty, the the Red Baron who seeks out mo- the most skilled Imperial pilots to take them down. Yeah, you know what Just, this you know what this reminded me of, because I'm a huge I'm like a I, I'm like a giant history buff when it comes to the Tuskegee Airmen, right? And if you guys saw Red Tails, which is the newest incarnation of that, and Lucas sure. had his hands on that one, and it, it it turned out it turned out good. I liked it. What if our mayors was a Tuskegee Airman? Who? One of our mayors here in Detroit, he was a Tuskegee Airman. Really? That's awesome. Yep. That's really awesome. Anyway, one of the one of the guys, and I, I forget his name now, but uh, he was obsessed with Pretty Boy. He was just obsessed by uh, bagging the German captain of that air corps that they kept going up against. And, and finally, um, I'm not going to spoil anything. The movie's three years old. Finally, he got him at the end, you know, toward the end of the engagement. And uh, but that's what that reminded me of. For some reason, it just reminded me of. Of this guy who wanted to be the best pilot out of their group, and he was after Pretty Boy every single time. And, yeah, that, that's kind of what it reminded me of. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, um, Keith is responsible for all those duties. We actually give um, the writers quite a bit of freedom there. And I just kind of said, you know, we, we kind of have a vision for revamping duties or in uh, Edge of the Empire obligations as kind of like, you know, keeping them kind of similar but revamping them and, and like making them more 
evocative for the new the career we're covering here. So Keith was responsible for all of those creations. I think Placard Hunter um, is actually one of my favorites on my on my show notes here. It's one I, I called out um, as it, it really kind of evokes what an ace is all about, and I think helps players kind of gu- it helps guide players towards creating a more evocative character. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as these go, I mean, we've asked this question for pretty much every every uh, career book we've we've discussed. But do you see these as exclusive to this focus, to the ace, or do you see these being able to be used with any other career in a, a Age of Rebellion? Oh, anyone who wants to use them and adapt one they see in a book that really inspires them can. I mean, duties are really flexible. We duties, obligations, uh, and in upcoming Force and Destiny moralities are all kind of something that. We want you to create for your character specifically. And honestly, our guidance is more suggestions than like hard limits. Um, so if, if people want, they can grab these over. But we try to make them kind of ace evocative. Uh, again, Placard Hunter being sure. the good example. Somebody else could get Placard Hunter like a Commodore commander or mm-hmm. something. But uh, it's going to fit best with an ace. I can see In that case, though. If, a, if a one, you know, one capital ship captain, you know, like one cruiser captain or frigate captain, is very into destroying another, maybe like a larger ship, like a larger class of ship. Yeah. You know, and he's like, I'm going to get that captain. I'm going to get that captain, you know. So have you, has did anybody experiment with trying to make a Rommel-esque ground superiority kind of guy? Um. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we had testers uh, do kind of uh, uh, ground-based builds. Yeah, Okay. definitely. Yeah, I was curious about that because that, that that popped into my head. I was like, "That'd be really cool." Have some kind of a, br- a ground engagement. But so, what's y'all? What's y'all's favorites for uh, for which? From the duties, or do you have a particular favorite? Um, I I mean, like we've already been talking about it, so I feel like it's a, a crappy answer. But Placard Hunter is the one I had yeah. on on my notes as uh, I, I think it's most evocative of the Ace. Um, I, I do like how Keith split up. Uh, you know, air and ground superiority as well. But um, uh, Placard Hunter, you know, we, we've even done art images that are basically inspired by that with like, I think there's one in here of a pilot, you know, on the, on the next to the body of her X-Wing with like tie kills painted on it. And yeah. So. That's one of my favorite pieces in the book. Yeah. The oh, that's she, cool. You just see the, the pilot's hand on the fuselage and it's just got a bunch of TIE fighter, TIE fighter, TIE fighter, interceptor, interceptor, interceptor. <laughs> and I think there's like half a TIE fighter on one for the assist. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> Well, Keith's in the chat. He's talking about a soldier sniper that wants to shoot officers. I could see that as a placard hunter. You know, yeah, you're, you're like carving, sure. you're like carving notches into your sniper rifle. <laughs> yeah, for each uh, major enemy you sniped. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I I, I like the duties. That they're, they're you know they're they're good. They're very evocative of of what we're looking for. But uh, in 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 an effort to try and stay on time because this may be a really long show, um, you also have some new motivations in. As well, right? So this is going to be violent ones. Yes, you're going to look uh, look at conflict, uh, page thirty four, which is, um, I guess, just in a word, um, kicking ass, May- <laughs> or being too old for it. Yeah, uh, mayhem, violent conquest, squadron, professional, etc. Um, I love uh, retirement. <laughs> My, my, that's, I just yeah. want to get my last flight. Yeah. Retirement's fantastic. Retirement, yeah, that's, <laughs> don't he was you, two days away. You remember you know what that one reminds me of? Lethal weapon. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, reminds me of Memphis Bell. 
Oh, yes! Yes! Oh, last episode. One last... more flight. Just one more flight and we're done. That's right. We can go home. That's evocative. I, see, for me, it was the first thing you jumped to was like, I'm too old for this. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> for those of you, for those of you that are listening, I, I have, uh, I've taken an oath, try not to cuss during the shows. And so I took all my, um, all my stuff I got from the Cards Against Humanity Christmas special, which is all these cuss words. And now since we're doing uh, a video show, I'm just putting the cuss words up so you can see them on the on the screen. So I'm not actually cussing, but you can so see. So is that actually better than cussing live? <laughs> I, I, I don't know that it is. I think that's that might be in the letter of the law, but not in the spirit of the Yeah, law. it's not, you know. <laughs> True. But, True. you know, I don't know. But, uh, you know, the show... We are certified gluten free. <laughs> so yeah, I just I, I'm just I'm having way too much fun with stickers here. But anyway, I'm again I'm taking another left turn, another right turn, which uh, listeners are love or, or hate me for. But uh, so okay, so why why the whole new set of motivations? You know, it's especially you know, or what some people would say, traditional RPG pseudo kill 'em all focused. Um. I mean, again, you'd have to ask Keith. We we do uh, new motivations each book, again, to kind of evoke flavor. Um, so in this case, we wanted uh, ace-based flavor. And I think he, he said in the chat that he was uh, taking inspiration from Dangerous Covenants, so maybe that's where some of the violence came in. But <laughs> Gotcha. It's... Do you guys have a favorite motivation from the list? Retirement? <laughs> Seriously, yeah, yeah. It, that, yeah, that, after that's our, after our conversation, that's uh, that's definitely high. Yeah, uh, on my list. I I think I'm right there with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. It's, after you rattled off Memphis Bell, which I hadn't even thought of, that's just fantastic. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Getting well, I mean, into that's the, the that's the perfect thing, right? Because how much yeah. of how much of uh, how much of Star Wars sort of ships and fighter combat is influenced by world war ii movies yeah you know, lucas used all that world war ii stuff i mean you, you look at the oh know, yeah even down to the guys, uniforms these guys are in space flying space fighters that move like p-38s and you know they don't wear masks you know they don't have right you know super high-tech flight suits and masks and stuff because they're world war ii fighter pilots oh yeah and when you like uh you look at the things that inspired the 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 films that inspired uh like the Millennium Falcon's Escape from the Death Star and New Hope. Like Lucas mm-hmm. basically took those one for one over into New Hope. Uh the yeah. shots, you know. They yeah. track exactly the same way. Yeah. Just barreling in on those uh on those B seventeen bombers, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So to help the players out there uh, jump into this new ace book and, and, and recapture some of those exciting dogfights. You've given us three brand new species. Uh, we've got the Chadra Fan, the Dresselian, and the Zextu. Uh, let's start with the Chadra Fan. Uh, why the wonderful little Batman? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, they actually make pretty natural aces. Um, they've, uh, they've got high agility. Um, they're fast little dudes. And uh, they've got the affinity for tinkering, which fits really well with the rigor. Um, so, uh, each species kind of pairs with one of our specializations, you know, they, sure. you can obviously play with anyone, but we, we kind of wanted to have these species be thematic to the specializations of the book. So Chatterfinder, the pairing with the rigor. Um, and again, I think they're, they're one of the, the better species to choose for ace. 
and it's not so much a, a just specifically someone who's good at tech, but it's you're also looking for a race that was good at tech and taking advantage of it as a as a hot shot flyer. Well, not necessarily yep. a hot shot flyer, but a, a, a hot hand on the stick. Yeah. But yeah, innately um, agile. So, as far as the next race goes, the obviously the pairing off with this one would be the Beast Rider, which I got to admit came way out of left field as far as when I was thinking of. Uh, specializations for this book. But why the Dresselians? Um, again, y- you hit it pretty much on the head. Um, it's pairing with the Beast Rider is pretty natural. Um, we wanted a species that kind of fits more with the the low-tech vibe that um, uh, Beast Riding brings. You know, in, in Star Wars, we always see Beast ride- Riding, especially be- being used in adverse environments that would probably be crappy for vehicles. You know, you got like... Right. The dudes riding around on Lava Fleas and Mustafar or Tauntauns on Hoth, the obvious example. Um, so, again, we, we wanted a, uh, a species that was kind of more low-tech that, that fit with the beasts really well. And there's Dressalians were a natural fit for that. Sounds good. Now, this one gave us also, the, this was one species that gave us the most questions about, so I'm kind of glad that they came up last. Uh, the Zextu. Seen first in Episode 1, the pod race pilot, the scrawny little four-armed race. What led to them being brought into this book? Um, so they're the natural fit with the hotshot. Um, there was actually a different race originally supposed to be in it that uh, we we shall not speak of. But uh, um, during development, uh, I talked with Keith and he recommended the Zexto, which were a pretty good fit, you know, uh, with their kind of um, daring background. That the, they're focusing on pod racing because of where they originally showed up. So uh, we chose. We, we thought they'd be the best fit. Excellent, excellent. So, Ray Ray Broxer brings us our first question. Looking at the starting characteristics for the X2, we got two of them at one, brawn and willpower, but only one at three, agility. Was there supposed to be another one at three, or is this correct as is? He doesn't see a problem with it if it is the way that is supposed to be, just making sure it's correct based on the other species that we've seen thus far. Yep, that's definitely intentional. Um, it's partially to offset their really amazing uh, special ability, the uh, additional free maneuver from having the extra arms, um, is very good and can pay off for a character basically through its entire life. Uh, so because of that, we needed to kind of have the players pay for that up front, and we like ha- people having some XP to play around with. So instead of docking their XP and making them like pretty hampered at character creation, instead... Um, we just gave them uh, the the limiters, but with only one three, and that kind of balances that out. It is a heck of a limiter, especially when you look at their their starting wound and strain thresholds as well. Yeah. And away, put your weapon gives us a question about this aforementioned benefit. So the Zextus have th- two free maneuvers compared to the usual one free maneuver for most species. What happens if a character is encumbered, carrying a load exceeding his encumbrance threshold by an amount equal to or greater than his brawn rating? He loses his free maneuver according to the book. So if a Zex 2 becomes encumbered, does he lose both of his free maneuvers or just one? <laughs> uh, nope, nope. Uh, only the first maneuver is the free maneuver. Um, okay. The Zexto just gets the second, the, the additional maneuver for free, but it doesn't make it the same as that first maneuver. That makes um, sense. So anything nice. that would affect... A player's first, like, free maneuver will just uh, affect that first one, and the Zexto will still get the second. 
and handy. again for free, making well, them still pretty amazing. All right. That makes... Yeah, uh, two free maneuvers. That's like a free aim every time. Heck yeah, <laughs> man. That's that. Yeah. That, okay. So that's good to know. Now scavenger, which is also queso or queso on the FFG boards. Yeah. Uh, okay. So this is a multi. Uh, this is a multi question. Um, multi limbed question. Sorry. With the uh, release of the Zexto. Many were expecting rules to handle combat checks made by characters with more than two limbs. Would you offer any advice on how a GM should adjudicate a combat check with a Zexto wielding three or four pistols? By rules as written, they would only be able to use two in a single turn. So should a character be able to fire three or more weapons (laughs) in a single turn? Um, yeah, mainly that's just complexity we don't really want to get into. Um, it's not really something we see many characters doing besides maybe like Grievous, um, right. wielding many, many weapons at once. Um, and we've done Zexto and Vesalisk NPCs in the past, you know, people with many, many arms. Um, and it's, it's just not really something we wanted to get into necessarily. Uh, if, if you wanted to house rule it, uh, this is not an official ruling, but I feel like the, the dual-wielding rules actually do scale pretty nicely. Um, you just uh, continue to increase the difficulty for each additional weapon, and also, you know, and, and then if you can trigger it with advantage, you trigger instead of just that second shot, you trigger a third shot or a fourth shot. Um, and so you'd have to scale the difficulty once for each extra weapon beyond the first that you want to fire. And, and so I think it'd be pretty easy to implement, and I think it would balance pretty well but um, it's just not really something we wanted to support. Okay. That sounds very fair. Yeah. You guys have a favorite species out of those? Oh, uh, mine's going to be the Chatter fan. I, 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 I like any little, like, annoying species or races, you know, like the Kender or the Halflings. <laughs> I've always liked them <laughs> yeah. in role-playing. Kender, seriously? <laughs> well, I mean, what? Oh, I, 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 man. I, I was trying to think of an annoying species right off the bat, and Kender are the most annoying. Um, I don't know. I, I like pissing off my group at the table. Hey, they're not squids. Wow. That's all I can say. They're not squids. <laughs> what about you, Jason? Uh, I don't know that I've got a favorite. I mean, they're all pretty good, and they're, they're all really good in their own particular niches. Sure. Uh, I don't know. If I, if I was forced to pick, and it's kind of a surprise to me, that I like this, but I really dig the Dresselian and their sort of low-tech, anti-human, you know, added to their, like, really bad attitude about everything, <laughs> and the way they fit into being, um, into being Beast Riders. Plus the picture of the one in the Beast Rider chapter, in the, on the Beast Rider page, is just absolutely she's, badass looking. She's totally yeah. rad, right? She's oh, got yeah, a yeah. over her shoulder, and she's like, whatever. Yeah. When you know, I look when at that, that and I was like, "You guys made the Dressalian look sweet." I didn't think that was yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> I was about to say, right? I don't remember them looking that good back in '83. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's totally rad. So, oh, speaking of the Beast Rider, speaking of the Beast Rider, we'll move on to the specializations, and this is possibly GM Chris's favorite spec, just as a flavor perspective. Of course. So talk to us about the design and intent of this particular specialization. Um, well, you know, it, rough and tumble outdoorsman kind of. Really, the Beast Rider was very much a gap uh, that we wanted to fill. You know, we wanted people to be able to ride beasts and have cool things they can do while ride beasts. So it's kind of, you'll see a lot of similarities uh, to the pilot um, in the Beast Rider, and that's intentional. It's just kind of like, you know, as much the pilot kind of fills the basic cool things you can do in a cockpit, 
the Beast Rider fills the basic cool things you can do on a mount. Um, so that was mostly the design intent in, in putting in the Beast Rider is to make sure people have lots of cool things to do while riding their Tauntaun or if they're getting crazy, any of the other ones in Chapter 3. Now that brings up a good question though. Is this too limited or do you see PCs taking mounts with them everywhere? Kind of like an animal companion that you'll always have with you. Yeah, it's tricky. I, I don't think it's any more limiting than any of the other specializations that focus on vehicles. Um, many vehicles you can't take everywhere, especially people who focus mostly on starships. Um, beasts, you can probably get into even more places. Um, and Yeah, I mean, you can ride a horse into most towns. You can't fly, <laughs> you can't fly a B-Wing into most towns. Yeah. No. no. We... And you can end up getting your beast in quite a few places. Uh, sure. And it, they're, they're pretty common in Star Wars. We see them everywhere. Uh and it can also apply not only to, you know, your riding beasts. I mean, most of the talents apply to riding beasts, but it has some useful things in just interacting with uh, different non-sentient aliens in general. So. Good point. Joshua brings us a question for the Beast Rider. Uh, he asks, looking at most of the specs in the Ace career, I see a lot of fun synergy with the rigor. However, I'm not sure that the Beast Rider can synergize with, with it at all. But it would be neat to, if you could turn a beast into a signature vehicle. Hi-ho, Silver! <laughs> Although most of the talent names don't make sense, the mechanics do when you turn your beast into a mount. So, is this a horrible thing to do? Should the synergy be allowed? Or should these two streams never cross? I like the Ghostbusters reference. Um, I mean, not not everything needs to synergize, right? Like, we right. obviously want to build synergies in so that people can build cool characters and find neat combos and everything. But intentionally, some things don't. And the Beast Rider is kind of one of them. It, it's very much a kind of separate aspect. Honestly, like, Beast Rider would synergize really nicely with um, other more survivalist-focused trees or maybe soldier-focused sure. trees or something. Yeah. Um, so the Rigger and the Beast Rider don't really cross. And if you want a house rule, the Rigger stuff onto Beasts, go be my guest. Uh... I promise nothing for how ridiculous your uh, um, your narglatch or something is going to be after you buff it with a rigger. <laughs> that's pretty much that's that's pretty much a whole bunch of cybernetic implants on an animal, right? Yeah, you could you could do that. Ooh. You could like I've See? got my, yeah. you know cybered out uh, Ronto Im- implant, or something. Implant armor, um, enhanced damn voice, yo, enhanced eye, you know, enhanced uh, hearing. Um, you know. Somebody just gave GM Phil a nerdgasm. I, damn! No, that, that'd, be, right, well, that'd be sweet, and I endorse that house rule, but it is not officially sanctioned. <laughs> All right, so you you heard it here first. FFG says, do it! No, 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 that's not what they said. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, that's not what they said. Uh, I'm going to get I'm gonna get us all in trouble, and we're never going to talk to you again. Sorry. <laughs> So, all right. So let me, let's talk about the hotshot for a second. Same, same, yeah, same as before. Um, you know, talk to us because this is, this is a piece of cool that is near and dear to my heart, by the way. Um, and, and we now know where it came from. It came from Andy Fisher wanting a badass talent tree. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> fish, talk to us about here again, the design and the intent of the hotshot. Um, I mean, it, the, the intention is just to create some ridiculously cool stuff. We wanted like the really flashy abilities. Um, you know, like I said, the, the pilot and the driver are kind of more, uh, and the gunner are more essentials, whereas this is, like, ridiculous stuff. You know, the hotshot might not actually be as solid of a pilot as the pilot is, but they're going to have their crazy moments. Um, a lot of the design of the talents came from, uh, it, when we design signature abilities and such, we look at, like, cool movie moments, like, kind of 
classic archetypical movie moments that have to do with characters like that. Yeah. And so, you know, we obviously choose, chose some for the signature abilities and we'll get to those. But uh, we had a bunch left over that we were like, oh, this is an awesome trope from like ace type movies. And we wanted to to use them. So, you know, like the, the game of chicken where you make two other fighters smash into each other and things and, you know, obviously the core grand turn, things like that. Uh, we we found a place for in these talents, dude. I love Showboat. Yeah, I love Showboat hard. <laughs> you say yeah. Showboat it's absolutely pretty, hard. It's, it's really good, but and I love um, the fact that K Turn is in this game now. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not gonna lie, definitely looked at some X Wing when we were making this game uh, for sure. Yeah, you you started talking about that, and all of a sudden we're like, oh, is this Maverick from Top Gun? Where we're getting uh, you're getting Top Gun references uh, coming in in the chat room. <laughs> But uh, so, yeah, longtime listener Donovan Morningfire brings us the first question, and it actually has to do with one of the things that you mentioned: this Corellian send-off talent. Would a single minion group of two or more fighters qualify as targets for this talent? For instance, my ace hotshot is in close range with a minion group of three Tie Fighters. Could I use my action to activate Corellian send-off and have two of these three Tie Fighters suffer an immediate collision? Uh, so that one's interesting. It's it's not doesn't have a strict cut and dry answer. I mean, I think rules has written no because it, the minion group is a single entity, um, and they'd probably be flying in formation. But it's totally up to the GM. Um, if you're kind of in this situation where you know, like the minion group's swarming around you or something, um, I could totally see it. Uh, I'm I'm fine with it either way, honestly, and I, I don't think it breaks it any. Uh, minion groups are already pretty easy to take care of. That's kind of their intention. So yeah. Okay. So now Mask has questions about talents that are in use by Astromex. And he says, are increased power, watch your back, and target lock only supposed to be usable by Astromex in sockets? Only watch your back specifically mentions the socket. Now, since Astromex get these extra maneuvers and actions as well as the ability to store hyperspace routes and make astrogation simpler... Do they get any balancing drawbacks? If not, is it simply worse to be any other kind of mechanic droid? Um, so uh, the design intention with them was to be used by Matt Astromex in that kind of interaction. You know, what is the Astromech capable of doing while plugged directly into the ship? However, I mean, I don't see any problem with other PCs being able to use them, specifically droids. Um, a droid with similar software plugged into an interface port inside of a larger ship um, probably has a fairly similar look into the ship systems that Astromech does. And I, I don't think any of the uh, actions break at all when you use them that way. So, Okay. And finally, the last career spec that we get in this book is the much-loved, and I do mean much-loved, because everyone who saw this in my neck of the woods just was drooling over this one, the rigor. So, what it was the design and the intent behind the behind the rigor? What what led to this development? Um, so, we wanted one of the archetypes we wanted to fill is kind of the dude who um, uh, the person who who really soups up their vehicle, and it's not really a mechanic as much as the person who kind of tinkers and is constantly tweaking and upping their own vehicle. Um, they might not even have a good enough knowledge to build a ship from scratch or fix their ship, but they're making it cooler, you know, adding extra boosts and stuff. So we, we wanted to do that um, with this tree. Excellent. Cool. So Brad Knowles is a bit concerned about the power of the rigor, <laughs> talking about the talents. On the rigor specialization, why does it have so many talents, each with what seems to be useful as tinkerer or jury-rigged? 
No other specialization has more than two or three such highly useful and unique talents, yet Rigor seems to have eight or nine of them. Rigor seems like an obvious must-have specialization for anyone who has a ship. I could see this may this many talents being spread across multiple specializations in a whole career, like mechanic or technician, but why a single specialization in their first career expansion in the AOR system? What am I missing here? It just seems too good. Um, we we tested it pretty extensively, and it's actually not that overpowered. Um, mainly because one of the big differences between this and something like jury rigged is jury rigged is has so many options. You're basically applying it specifically to whatever benefits you the most, um, yeah. right? Whereas right. here, you don't really have a choice. It, you, you know, your armor is getting up to whether that actually helps you or not, uh, or yeah. your handling or whatever. Um, right. And, you know, I mean, if, if you're using jury rig, right, you're probably using it on auto fire anyway. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, So here on the rigger, it's evenly distributed. So, like, it basically, like, everything on your ship by the end of this gets a plus one, and you have to consider the opportunity cost of what you're losing out on. You can spend a lot of XP on the rigger to get all those talents, and sure, your ship has a little bit extra to everything, but you can't pilot that ship worth a damn. Um, mm-hmm. That's true. And uh, so, so you're losing a lot of opportunity there uh, to, to get that extra, those extra little stat bonuses. So in the end, it's it's not that powerful um, of a yeah, spec, all like, things considered. What? 150 or 200 XP worth of talents just to get a little boost here, a little boost there, a little boost over right. here, a little boost there. Mm-hmm. It's spread out. Okay. And it's impactful, it's, especially on fighter craft. But yeah, right. I'm, I'm it's glad only you a little bit at a time. You know, it's right. not like you know, you're not you're not turning a you're not turning an X wing into an A wing. Yeah, because I don't see any re one any one specific talent that just breaks it. Like right. jury rigging auto fire down to costing one advantage. There's there's nothing in here that does that. Mm-hmm. Altogether, you make for a badass ship and some serious upgrades. But like I said, you're spending 150 or 200 points to do that. Right, right. And and, and usually Which for could most be players used elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and for most player character groups, they're going to be souping up a ship that you could probably up those stats just by spending you know 100,000 more credits somewhere. Um, so, or you could or you could upgrade that ship by just buying another ship. Oh, hey now, <laughs> you know now that's just crazy talk. I mean, I do I I, I do my own sort of like in real life sort of tinkering and hot-rotting with motorcycles. Yes. Yep. And at some point, there's a plateau you reach with a certain engine or a certain um, a certain bike frame or a certain, sure. you know, a certain powertrain, and you're like, man, I could dump, like, another grand into this bike, or I could just buy another one that does what I want it to do. <laughs> yeah. And then tweak that up. And then work with that. Yeah. Know? Well, yeah, you're, you're, you're making the same analogy as, like, a, you know, a little four-banger uh, rice rocket that is, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I offended somebody. I'm sure I did. It's, you know, eventually you're going to have to upgrade to the V6, the V8, if you're going to want the power and torque, you know? Anyway, see, they're all laying out on me now. (laughs) Because I got myself in trouble. All right, so we'll move on to uh, signature abilities. The, Uh, um, you know... I love this section of the book. Yes, yes, yes. Of course, it's a new career book, so we have to have uh, two new signature abilities for the Ace, right? So... Let's talk about these for a second. We've got some questions around here, uh, around these as well. So, um, give us first, uh, design intent and all that jazz for this one is mine. Um, so yeah, we wanted the quintessential showdown moment. Again, like I said, uh, with the signature abilities, uh, our goal is always those really cool moments. You know, what is the most awesome moment for this career? 
Um, and so that showdown, like, you know, a one-on-one duel in the sky kind of thing was what we were going, what we were trying to evoke with this signature mm-hmm. ability. This one is mine. I'm going to duel that Lancer over there. <laughs> you can make some really bad decisions with the signature ability, by the way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I bet. Good choices. Make good choices. <laughs> so, okay. So, that's what about that's that's one of those that's one of those things you you give that player just enough rope to hang themselves with, oh. and they will, they uh, yeah. will, and they will every time. Because you but look it's at it, be you go, sweet when they do it. Oh it's yeah, awesome. Yeah, because they're gonna throw like four despair. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's gonna be the best thing anyone's ever seen. Ever. Because you know you're gonna have some guy who's sunk like you know 200 points into their their being an ace, and they've got this talent. They look and they rest their squadron. They're about to spare, pair off against the empire, and all of a sudden the lancer figures disappears. This guy's gonna be like, I don't want you to shoot my buddies. I'm gonna attack that thing and keep it busy. You guys deal with everything else. And the lancer's <laughs> like covered. In, the lancer's covered in quad laser turrets, man. That's fun to say. Meanwhile, <laughs> next round, the lancer is now suddenly able to fire on everybody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. I love this one as mine. But you also gave us unmatched survivability. Now, yes. what was the intent behind this one? Um, I mean, as uh, we'll, we'll talk about a bit later, uh, you know, Char- Starship combat, combat is very uh, quick and lethal. And All so right. this is kind of a way to counter that, to, you know, up your own personal survivability so you can stay in the fight for longer. Um, you know, it, it's that... It's kind of a quintessential movie scene in a lot of uh, different movies where, you know, that, that that main character who has no right to still be flying is still in the air. Um, and so we want to kind of evoke that. I, li- I like it. I, I, you know, between the two of them, this one is mine is absolutely sexy. But if I had an ace, I'd I'd have to go unmatched survivability. Just to, you're not stopping me. I, I'm going to keep fighting you. Yeah. I will not be stopped. Yes. All right. So, uh, speaking of uh, speaking of these, Donald comes back again with another question for this one is mine, and he says for the this one is mine signature ability. And he loves the name, by the way, which we all do. Mm. Is there any sort of range restriction on this, or is it a case of if you're aware and or can perceive the intended target, you can use this ability to lock them into a fighter duel? Um, so it's going to be kind of up to the GM on this one. Uh, we didn't specify because ranges vary so crazy, crazily for vehicles from starships to ground vehicles, sure. to even, you know, mounted combat. Uh, so we, we didn't specify a range, but it's kind of, uh, are you capable of engaging this other ship in a meaningful way enough to get their attention? Yeah. So it's so, common sense stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be up to the GM on that one. Okay. I'd buy that Excellent. for a dollar. Scavenger brings us the next one. He's asking the following. Which of the three new specializations of the Ace career, all focusing on vehicles or vehicular combat, with the Beast for the Beast Rider being the obvious stand-in for vehicle, the signature abilities created for the Ace seem an obvious choice, but center around the role of the pilot. This leaves the Gunner, and to some extent the Rigger specialization, as the odd duck. If a player were to play an Ace Gunner to fill the role of gunman in a Y-Wing, he or she is left with a conundrum whether it comes to be when it comes to these ace signature abilities. Both the abilities require the character to be piloting the ship. What about the ace rigger who fills the role of the ship's engineer and not the pilot? Could the character still use unmatched survivability to keep the ship going even if the character is stuck in the engineering bay? Ooh. 
Yeah, so this isn't specifically called out, but I'd say uh, Unmatched Survivability is totally fine to use for that kind of rigor character who's not actually piloting the ship. Uh, this one in mine, though, is very, like, kind of pilot-specific, so that's going to stay in the person who's in the saddle or the uh, pilot chair or whatever. But Unmatched Survivability, I could totally see a GM allowing uh, somebody to use it, uh, you know, assuming they have an active role in keeping this ship in, uh, I was going to say, in the air, in the, in the void. <laughs> And gentlemen, favorite of the two. <laughs> I don't know that I have a favorite. I think they're both super cool, and they both definitely have their place. Yeah, I, I was going to kind of uh, do a bit of a cop out there as well. I, the designer in me really likes unmatched survivability because it uh, it it fills a gap we needed to fill. But the storyteller in me really likes this one as mine because I can see some really awesome storytelling moments with this one, with that one. So So you take Hotshot, you take Gunner, you buy him down, you get both. Simple as that. (laughs) Done and done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you you can get there. Done and done, as opposed to just being done. Yes. Ah, indeed. we're done with Chapter 1. Hey, look at that. All the news that's fit to print for Chapter 1. So, all right, you know what? This is kind of like Watto's Black Market, right? As we go into equipment and gear dis- questions. Kind of, yeah. Yay! How about that? So, all right, so we've got lots of questions to pepper you with with this one. And this is Dugan San Francisco, or Dugan's SF. and <laughs> Dugan <Brad>. SF. <laughs> ah, yeah, ah, sorry. It's okay. And Brad Knowles. I just know him, that's why. <laughs> ah, Dugan's SF. Brad Knowles. They have questions about an interesting gun. And so I we're going to take these one at a time. But was there or what was the intention behind allowing it to swap between ranged light and ranged heavy? We should we should mention the, the name of weapon 5. We oh right, yes. yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is the DR45 Dragoon. Sorry. This is the Dragoon. Um well, so basically um are you are you guys familiar with the Colt Dragoon? That was a it was a repeating pistol made by Colt in the later part of the 1800s. Is that where the, the Colt, Colt 45 came from? Uh no, the Colt 45 was a peacemaker. Um, oh. but the Dragoon was a horse pistol and it had a detachable stock on it. So you could turn it into a basically a modern equivalent if you think about it in fiction would be Megatron from Transformers. <laughs> right? <laughs> Right? That would okay. be, I guess that things. would be modern. He had, like, the, the shoulder stock, and he had the the sight that went on the top, and then he had that barrel extender, right? Yeah. So sure. that's what the that's what the uh, that's what this dragoon pistol is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a convertible pistol that you could turn into a carbine. So sure. if you're gonna take a pistol, you know, you handle a pistol like this, you handle a carbine like this. They feel different. They you your body works different when you use those weapons. Mm-hmm. So that's why. Ranged light, you know, if you don't have the stock attached to the Dragoon, you use ranged light, you're using it as a pistol. If you have the attachments set to it, it's bigger, and you carry it like a rifle, so you have to use it like a rifle, and you have to use ranged heavy. And for those of you scoring at home, when he says, do this for a pistol, he's like holding it in both hands. And when he says, do this with a carbine, he's uh, (laughs) holding it like a rifle with one hand extended. You hold it like a pistol. You hold it like a rifle. You're, you know, you're putting something up to your shoulder and putting your eye... Right. Sight. Yeah, your hands are separate. Your hands are very much separated on the yeah uh, down the barrel of the gun. 
Yeah, and, and from a rules perspective, well, a single character probably wouldn't get much use out of this because one of theirs is always, one of their range skills is probably always going to be better. It allows you to kind of uh, throw that gun to another person and for them to be able to use it effectively. Mm-hmm. Nice, get it. All right, so what attachments can go into the weapon? On the dragoon? Yes, this yeah, is. Yeah, you shoot it as a pistol. Yeah, or did you shoot it as a carbine. Yeah, these are all questions about the dragoon. I mean, honestly, for the dragoon, you put a, a sight on it. You put an optic on it because that goes on top of the weapon. And, you know, that goes on the receiver, the weapon's receiver. Um, and that doesn't change between that doesn't change between the carbine and the pistol. Um, or, you know, anything that attaches to the body of the pistol itself, um, you know, you, you could put a sling on it, um, but that would be for when it's converted to a carbine. Would you uh, just as a general rule, uh, just as a general rule of thumb, would you say that you would only put attachments on it that specifically call out both pistols and carbines at the same time, or yeah, pistols and rifles, pistols and carbines, yeah. Yeah, and my rules is written answer would just be um, it's listed in the weapons tree as a ranged light weapon um, because that's a more, the more limiting of the two form factors. Uh, sure. So okay. yeah, like if if you're concerned, stick air to that side of things. All right. Gotcha. That makes sense. All right, last question about the Dragoon. Please, please compare and contrast with other heavy blaster pistols, carbines, rifles. Why does it only have one point of encumbrance, and why is it not restricted? Well, I can tell you why it's not restricted, because it's not a military-issued weapon. Right. Okay. You know, anything that's restricted in the game is typically issued by the Imperial Military's. Army or the Imperial Navy. Or yeah. exceptionally dangerous. Or exceptionally dangerous, like a disruptor. Disruptor, yeah, that's what uh, comes to mind. I, I think the uh, aren't the uh, thermal detonators restricted? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think so. yeah. Just, just a I mean, tad. this is this is basically you know it's a it's it's a weapon that's built for you know beast riders and for vehicle crews. You know, they're support they're support troopers. They're not frontline infantry. You know, they're not they're not frontline soldiers. You know, and they're these are. This is a weapon built for people who don't live and die by their weapon or their sidearm. You know, they're operating a vehicle, they're a pilot, they're operating a big gun, you know, they're a ship crewman or something like that. You know, so it's not it's not a restricted weapon because it's not an incredibly dangerous weapon of mass destruction. You know, and it's not straight out of the Imperial um, armories. Okay. Um, Makes sense to me. Yeah. All right, so we Donald's back with a hypothetical now. So if if you'd like to address the hypothetical, it it, it is such that it says any oh, sug- uh, any what the flight suit thing. Yes, this is yes. a any suggestion for replicating a flight suit such as orange versions worn by rebels in the films. Uh, and my personal thought is to simply buy a set of heavy clothes and a breast mask breath mask. Has two separate items and call it a day. But I was curious how either one of you guys might handle this on an ad hoc basis. I mean, pretty much if you're buying, you know, if you're if you're buying it for your character, you'd put down on your character sheet flight suit yeah. and treat it like a suit of heavy clothing. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah also, you don't sense. actually see those guys wearing breath masks. Well, they're not wearing breath masks. Not all of them. Because, because they're not they're World War II pilots. Of course. You know. They're they're Mustang pilots and they're Lightning pilots and they're you know Air Cobra pilots. They're not F sixteen pilots. They're Corsair pilots. Mm. Or they're Corsair pilots. Yeah, I love the Corsair. I just I don't know why. 
<laughs> my my, I'm I'm an Aracobra pilot uh, fan just because of the engine layout and that 20 millimeter or 30 millimeter cannon that runs through the spinner of the propeller. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so speaking of flight suits, uh, last uh, last question here is Mask comes back again, or Maske. We're going to call him Mask. Yeah. The AKT Shock Rider crash suit and Wing Commander armored flight suit both reduce strain from vehicle crits by one to a minimum of one. Mm-hmm. The only vehicle crit that causes strain on the crew only causes one. So what are these good for? Oh, is this foreshadowing? Hmm. Oh. Well, okay, so, you know, by the rules, there there's that critical that, you know, reduces it to one. But as a game master, I know I personally, if a crash was bad enough, I'm going to give you more strain. Mm. You know, if, if a crash is bad enough, the game master, this is sort of one of those game master... Um, at the game master's discretion kind of things. You know, where you say, well, yeah, that crash was bad and, and this and that, but this is exceptionally bad, so you're going to take X number more strain. And so your, you know, your crash suit would reduce that. Okay. Makes sense. I guess that's, yeah, that's good. Makes sense to me. So this moves us and transitions us quite nicely into starships and vehicles. And boy, did you guys give us a load of tasty, tasty goodness to play with. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I do love the a nod out to the old Star Wars galaxies and the AV-21 land speeder. It was a big deal when you finally got that thing in that game, and I was pleased as punch to see it in this book. I loved that thing. It was like a land starship. <laughs> um, Rogue Corona starts us off with a pretty easy question. Uh, how was it decided which Starfighter models were included in this book? Uh, and answer that I, I, as best you can. For my part, it was Andy sent me a list as long as my arm of spaceships he wanted in the book and said, write about these. And I went, <laughs> let's do it. And then you trimmed where necessary for content. J- Jason also, we usually uh, ask him for a list, and you also have sent your share of unrealistically long lists. Oh my god, that list was so big, too. <laughs> yeah, I sent you a lot of ships for that. <laughs> um, yeah, well, we set out a good base in the core book, and that was we wanted to get the essentials, you know, the, the core four of from each faction, um, along with a couple extras. Uh, and in here, we got kind of got to go hog wild. We wanted to do all of the, like, you know, really cool starships you see uh, beyond the core four, especially things from like the old video games. Right. Mm. Yeah, there was a lot of nods to the video games in these books, or rather, in this chapter. They give us a lot of good content. So they so, did. They did. What if? Uh, what if? What if? I'm just. I'm just saying. If later all these vehicles and you know ships or or ground based vehicles or whatever that Jason provided don't get published. Could you create an unofficial compendium of stuff that never made the FFG RPG? Well, well, most of those uh, aren't fully uh, statted out or anything. Um, also, probably not. So uh, if, if we have any content that uh, you guys never saw, it will forever be locked away on the FFG servers. Yeah. Sorry. <sighs> Anonymous will need your help. Yes. Uh, Ebac comes to us with the next question. The book introduces the idea of a refitted ship, more specifically the Heavy 95. 
I have a player who currently has a Z95 and wishes to upgrade without having to buy the outright Heavy 95. How best should I handle the refitting from a cost and mechanical standpoint? Well, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's a couple of answers there, right? Um, a lot of that is, a lot of that is narrative. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So you look at the, you look at the Heavy 95 compared to the, the, uh, the regular Z95 head on her. And the Heavy 95 is, you know, it's a little tougher because it has a, it has a stronger hull. Or has a stronger fuselage, you know, and uh, that's, you know, you look at that and that's, well, that's the reinforced keel modification, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, um, you know, it's not any faster. Uh, it's a little less maneuverable because of the weight that's added with the reinforcements inside the fuselage. Right. Sure. Um, you know, it, a lot of that is looking at it and say, you know, saying to your game master, man, I want this, I want this to be tougher. And the game master says, well, this is, this is how we're going to have to do it. You know, and you, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, GM discretion in that. And also, this goes back to what I said earlier. Sometimes you're going to have to buy the heavy 95. You know, Some, yeah, sometimes to me, this you have sounds... reached, you have reached the performance maximum of that airframe. You need to buy another one. To yeah. Cause to me, this sounds a lot like, you know, trying to speak your language here. And cause I know what, that you're a bit of a buff in this. Isn't this sort of the difference between the F-18 Hornet and the upgraded Super Hornet? Yes, that's exactly what more, this is. It's you know, more than just just extra stuff. It's it's a whole right. freaking new package. And the the Hornet and the Superbug are I don't care what anybody says, they are completely different aircraft. Yeah. They look the same and they look the same so they could sell that to Congress. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the Superbug is a way different airframe than the the original F18. And that's, that's what's going on with the, the heavy 95 and the Z95. You know, the heavy 95 is a, a service life extension program. Uh, I'm trying to think. So, um, the Turkish Air Force flies an F, still flies the F4 Phantom. Yeah. F4 is right? cool though. The F4 is totally rad, but they, they fly, what is it? What is it? The, uh, it's the 2020 Terminator that has, it, it's an F4E and it's like super updated. It's got update, like a completely updated avionics package. It's got this like crazy updated, you know, fuselage and airframe and everything. It's a way different aircraft than the ones that were built in the seventies, which you know, was where the F18 that's, or the F4Es were originally came out. Yeah. That's the whole Vietnam era stuff. Right. You know, so, so you know, at that point, say. at that point, you just need to buy a new one. Yeah. Yeah. And there you go. Uh, Mask Perfect. is back with a Starship Attachment and Mod question. Is the Slave Circuit Vehicle Mod useless without a remote DVI activator from Sons of Fortune and vice versa? If they do function independently, why would anyone buy the 10,000 credit mod that uses a valuable ship hardpoint instead of picking up the 1,500 credit piece of equipment? If you do need both, then why aren't they both in the same book instead of two different books and two different product lines? You don't really need both. Um, the one that's in Sons, the DVI... Is it's supposed to be sort of a a more budget model, you know? It's basically, you know, turn the ship on, <laughs> you know, get the systems up, get the systems up and running now, uh, as opposed to the uh, you know the 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 one that's in uh, this book, which is you know a lot more comprehensive and deals with a lot more systems on the ship, and you know as you you can increase your your mods so that you can actually fly it remotely or have it fight, you know. Um, it's, it's basically the DVI from Suns is a budget version of the slave circuit. Sure. You know, it's something, it's like a cheap and dirty, 
you know, we need to get the get the ship up and running. Beep beep beep. You know, but you know, it's <laughs> it's the remote car starter. It's the remote. It's the remote starter. Whereas the slave circuit is a much more comprehensive. <laughs> it's a bigger deal. Fly yourself to me now. Yeah. <laughs> Come and fight your way here, cause we're. In <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> the Batmobile. Yeah. It, they, yeah. 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 Right? It sort of turns it into the Tumblr. Absolutely. Um, so, speaking of remote vehicles and remote systems, let's talk about Astromax for a second. Happy Days brings us a droid question. Since the NPC Astromax droids do not take actions, and since the speak binary talent only applies to actions taken by NPC droids, is this an intentionally worded and intentionally avoided interaction? Uh, sort of. So... If your astromech is in the astromech socket, mm-hmm. you guys are flying along and you're in the middle of combat, you don't need to speak binary to that droid because he's hooked into the ship and, you know, you're flying and fighting around and the droid is screaming at you because the after the ship is on fire and you've lost one of your S-foils <laughs> and you're, you're bleeding energy everywhere. The ship is going to translate that for you. It's either going to translate it in your ear in a comm link or it's going to translate it on a screen on your instrument panel. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so you don't. The ship is going to do that work for you. Yeah, I mean, we saw this back. You know, Luke. The, there was one little shot of the in in Empire when they're on the way to Dagobah. Exactly, and you see yep. that translation coming up on the screen, and he looks at the screen, and I mean, it's a split second, but it's there. Yep, and you know, I think I think like the relationship between R two D two and Luke Skywalker is Luke sort of never really knew what he was saying unless he was hooked into the ship. Right. You know, sort of like, he's like, he can sort of get the gist of what the droid is saying in, in general. He sort of sure. uses context clues. But yeah, like that thing, you see the Arabesh printing out on the screen in front of him, mm-hmm. you know, on that, on that multifunction screen. And you're like, oh, the ship is telling him what the droid is saying. Right. That makes sense. Makes sense to me. So. All right. So we had a bunch of listeners come up with the same general questions. And so, um, Basically, uh, regarding some contradictory places, rules, stat blocks, things that way. So, oh yeah. So let's uh, let's go over real quick. You know, which is correct? Is it that for the tie basically, phantom? Basically, the the easiest way to answer that question is if it's in the stat block. Sorry, if it's in the stat block, it's true. Okay. Um, if it's in the description, the description doesn't have a game. It doesn't really affect the game. The stat block is the rules. The rules are right. Okay, so the, the, just basically follow the stat block. Just follow the stat block. Some things get, I mean, accidents happen. You know, and it'll get, that, those things will be corrected, you know, in, you know, subsequent printings. Sure. But, some accidents happen. I'm taking my book back. So let's call out one of them specifically, because this is the one where it looks like the stat block doesn't quite match what the description is in the stat block. The, the TIE Hunter has four linked yeah. lasers, but only has linked one. That's Shouldn't that be link three, Andy? <laughs> uh, no, no. The, the stat block is uh, is correct on that. Um, the Tie Hunter actually, uh, two of the wings are lasers, and the other two are ion. Actually. Um, oh, okay, so there's the misprint. It's it's supposed yeah. to be two and two, not four. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. So uh, that was an issue. Uh, it didn't get corrected in the description, unfortunately. Uh, so you know, again, uh, sometimes these these issues do crop up. But the stat block is correct, and it reflects uh, the kind of Cannon Tie Hunter okay. with the two and two. Okay, it's a little weird, but that's how the ship's supposed to be, apparently. Okay. Swift draw with a question, real quick. Does the idea of a PC rigger getting a Phantom and making it 
his or her signature ship terrify you as much as it does me? <laughs> nope. And I'll tell you why. Because good luck, <laughs> because good luck getting one. Because <laughs> yeah, right. there's like there's like maybe I mean five. It's, maybe it's not five. canon. It's not canon or anything, but there's maybe like three squadrons of phantoms in the whole galaxy. Okay, so we're going back to the whole conversation <laughs> of uh, of uh, Detroit, the RPG. If somebody comes up with a Tucker, you're going to say, "Screw you!" Not no, going to happen. It's not that. No, it's just like a it's a brand new ship and it's super high tech. Yeah, and and the Empire's gonna they are going to defend that tooth and nail. Yeah, you're just not going to. That yeah. is a technology. You know, no ship that small has a cloaking device. No. This one does. Right? This these have cloaking devices. It's they're the Aegis Destroyer. Okay. Yeah, they're super rare. They're super restricted. And even if you get a look at one, you know, and, he, and even one. if they do get their hands on it, yeah, it, it's a scary proposition that Rigger's uh, tricked out ship. But again, as we talked about before, there's an opportunity cost there. That that person exactly. flying the ship, if if the Rigger's in the cockpit. You know, they better have a bajillion XP, or they're not actually doing anything cool with that TIE Phantom. I, I'm pretty sure that a non-souped-up TIE Phantom with a uh, hotshot um, or uh, or pilot uh, in the cockpit could beat a souped-up rigger um, Phantom flying around. And and, uh, and someone just mentioned in the chat window, uh, the Empire will also hunt you down and take that ship back. Right. That's you know. one of those things where you, where you become public enemy number one, and the mission is retrieve it or destroy it, one of the two. Exactly. Yeah. You're yeah. on the top that of their becomes, shit list. That becomes a huge albatross around your neck at that point. Yeah. Have fun. It's like a brand new obligation. Yeah. <laughs> obligation. Big one. Yeah. I stole a TIE Phantom. By the way. <laughs> yeah. 50 now, point now obligation. Now I'm a walking dead man. Gets rolled every adventure. Yep. <laughs> so... Last question concerning this chapter. Uh, kitten. Kitten? <laughs> I would say Kaiton. 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 Yes, Kaiton. Sorry, man. Um, he had a general Meow. question concerning Starship Encumbrance. He is concerned that it's not detailed enough. Uh, just to boil it down to the basics, what does a vehicle's encumbrance capacity indicate? It appears to be treated the same as a character's, but if that's the case, we have some issues and confusion. It's does it apply or does it apply to or ignore the pilot and crew? It only okay, so it only applies to dedicated storage. Okay, so I I see there was a like, you know, the talking about the TIE LN and about how much a the a TIE LN a, a regular standard <coughs> standard TIE fighter can carry, right? Um <laughs> <laughs> The kitten was really good. Um yes. Okay, so if you think, so let's, let's think about the TIE fighter as a super simple, um, super agile multi-role fighter. Um, a real world analog would be the, the F-16, right? Very simple, very cheap, very, um, very agile multi-role fighter. Um, I don't know, has anyone ever sat in or seen the cockpit of an F-16? It's tight. You know what you carry inside the cockpit of an F-16? You. You carry you, which is already, it's, it, that's already, in there. That's already figured into the weight. You carry your kneeboard, you carry your watch, you carry your sidearm, and you carry an emergency kit. And that's all that fits inside of a TIE fighter. That's it. You know? So that encumbrance, it's not what the ship can lift, it's what the ship can carry. It's a narrative idea. There's no overhead bin inside a TIE fighter, or inside of a B-Wing. 
you know. Yeah, we're also it, in, we're not cataloging all of the empty space inside a ship. Yeah, that would be exactly. crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is storage the, I mean, space. Yeah, that's it. So if it doesn't apply to pilots and crew, then how much can a pilot in, uh, or crewman wear onto that ship before he's in trouble? Is it at all on the GM to determine if something is overloaded? I mean, anything that's carried by the pilot is essentially carried. Carried. You know, it's not the sh- that's not the ship's problem at that point. Yeah. The ship's problem is anything extra you're trying to load in it. Like, the TIE fighter carries one person, you know. Yeah. Try, so you're going to show up another, with your... going to squeeze another person. And I know, and I know that one of the concerns was the fact that, okay, it's got an encumbrance of five. Does that mean I can't carry six pistols? There's no space in there for that? <laughs> no, it basically means that it, there's dedicated space for those six pistols. But if you've got, you could carry 10 or 15 pistols in there, but they're not going to be locked down. To? They're not going to be stored. They're going to be right. bouncing around while you're trying to do things and distracting and getting in the way and getting in the, uh, encumbering you from operating the systems. Yeah, I guess one of the things is that armor you have on your body doesn't count. Again, the encumbrance capacity is dedicated storage. So if you took that armor off and wanted to put it somewhere, then you'd look at the encumbrance capacity of the ship. You know, oh, can I store this here? Yes, I can. Or no, the TIE fighter doesn't have an overhead bin. Um, But if if, if you're wearing it, it's just on you in the cockpit seat and you're not even interacting with that encumbrance value. There's your answer, folks. Stop overthinking it. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, encumbrance is really narrative, right? And it's yeah. really like, use common sense. You know, you're not gonna, you're not, you're not gonna pack a crate of rifles in a TIE fighter. No, no. And I have a hunch, I have a hunch that we might get back to this in a little bit, but let's continue with the book, uh, transitioning over to Starship Combat. Uh, there's a lot of talk in the forums that folks were hoping for changes or clarifications in this book regarding Starship Combat, Stub Fighters specifically. And it turned into quite a heated debate over on the forums with uh, MKT, Kitan, Talkie Toaster, Mr. Dodger, Meow. Happy Days, Grand Solo, and Dante Rotterdam all weighing in. Quite now, the heated debate. Yeah. We're going to say that that's going to go down as an understatement. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's a safe. really good way of saying that, by the way. That's, that's yeah. well done. Hey, thank you. You know, we're professional podcasters. <laughs> so though there was a lot of dis- disagreement, some folks feel that spider combat is just too deadly. Arguments ranged from claiming that the defense wasn't powerful enough to concerns that the pilot's skill pool didn't factor in into how hard it is to hit a ship. Others pointed out that this is by design, which really just escalated things even further. Of course, because there was one guy in there saying, It's all because of those damn liberals! (laughs) All right. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. So we wanted to ask you this. Can you two fine gentlemen provide us with any tips or advice on running starship encounters. Yeah, so starship... So, oh, <laughs> continue. No, I was just going to say, starship combat is deadly. And, yeah. And that's, and that's awesome. Yeah. Right? Jeopardy, and the jeopardy and risk inherent in starfighter combat makes it thrilling. You know? True. It's that, it's that, oh, it's, it's awesome. You know, it's like, I'm facing off I'm in a X-wing or I'm in a B-wing and I'm facing off against, you know, someone in an interceptor or someone in a, a, a tie defender and it's kill or be killed, you know? And this is, it's, yeah. this is no joke. It's on like Donkey Kong. One of us <laughs> is not going home. I'll agree with that, but there's a, the, the biggest problem that I've found in my own games is when I try to have that Luke Skywalker, that Corrin Horn, that Wedge Antilles moment where it's my PC versus a bunch of enemy fighters 
my PCs generally last a round or two and then are blown from the sky. We don't get that sense of how in the God's name can Wedge take on six fighters at once and survive. Um, there, there's, it, it feels like there's not much of a threat mitigation because the game, at least as far as I've experienced, it's become, if I don't get off the first shot, I die. And I understand that there's, there's, there's gain the advantage in there, but the problem with gain the advantage that my PCs have had is I waste my action trying to set up for this that they can just, if they're good enough, break the next round and then I've lost my first shot. So, so how do you handle that? Well, yeah. So, I mean, uh, things like Starship Combat Combat has a lot of tools to mitigate that. Things like gain the advantage. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky, but for the example of like the Wedge or the Luke, who did all these crazy things. Um, they had a, a lot of things on their side, being a main character, being one of them. Um, so things like unmatched survivability are introduced to kind of get you that moment. Um, sure. Also, you know, those guys are rocking around with a lot of our more high-powered vehicle talents, and that's going to help you a lot. So, you know, th- these guys are the creme de la creme of fighter pilots, and... Um, uh, so they, they might not be the, the standard to aspire to for a lower level character, but, um, sure. I think by setting up the Starship Combat, because of how deadly it is, requires you, um, as a player to kind of approach the encounter carefully and have a plan and then use gain the advantage to, to stay out of sight. Um, and, you know, if, if you're the dedicated pilot that is the aspiring Wedge Antilles or whatever, you likely have a high enough, uh, skill that you can probably uh get away with things like gain the advantage and you talk about you mentioned stay out of sight it's not just use gain the advantage it's like space wherever you're fighting is rarely empty oh yeah you know there's there's dust clouds there's asteroids there's your ship you know you're there are bigger ships usually you know you don't just take a fighter out there without support you know there'll be at least a frigate out there hide behind the frigate you know Come out from, come out from behind your enemy's support ship. You know, run under her keel, come over the top and blast a bunch of TIE fighters into atoms. There's still suns to dive out of. That, exactly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, use the star, use the shadow of the planet, use whatever. There's all kinds of things. And that's all, you know, part of that, part of that idea with the, where the GM says, yeah, sure, I'll give you X boost or I'll, you know, I'll let you upgrade for that. You know, that's a lot of the player and the GM telling the story together. It's not strictly rules at that point. And the other thing to remember is that when you're taken out, you're not necessarily blown up unless you got a horrible crit from like a vicious weapon or something. Um, You're, you're, you're dead in the water, but you're still spinning, you know, like you you could get your vehicle back on track. You, you you know, uh, your friends in a a larger vehicle could come recover you or whatever. Mm -hmm. The encounter, you're not dead. Uh, the encounter is not necessarily over for you. Um, right. Well, it's just it? kind of changed. What's that? What's that? Uh, the Clone Wars episode where the four clones and I think it's Plo Clune yep. are tra- are trapped in that trapped in that dead landing craft. Yeah. You know that's fantastic. All right, we're losing air. We got no power, and we're we're being hunted. You know how are we going to get out of this? You know, oh, that's such a fantastic. It's scary. You know, it's, yeah. like I said earlier, it's thrilling. You know, that's like. What are we going to do to get out of this? You know, are we going to go home? <laughs> so I had a spitball idea because as I was I was thinking about this this the the thread that generated this sort of con- uh, conversation, and I was kind of bouncing around ideas in my own head, and I wanted to kind of bring it up in this in the episode and get your opinion of it. My spitball idea, 
because I was thinking of what happens with what happens with the originally the other one shot you know first shot wins combat that the game had until Force and Destiny came out, and that was lightsaber combat. How the sabers just seemed like okay, whoever tags the other person first with the saber wins. That it's really what it felt like when you had base damage ten, breach one, crit one weapons. Um, my spitball idea: an incidental out of turn action that reduces the damage from a hit before breach by a number equal to the ship's handling plus the pilot's ranks in pilot, and have it cost three strain to use, personal and system strain, both, either, whichever, and just call it a snap roll. Something that takes into account not only the pilot's skill, which doesn't, uh, with the exception of the skill check for gain the advantage, doesn't feel like it, it really is brought into the play, but it also brings into account the maneuverability of a ship, Anyone who's played X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, specifically on the TIE Fighter side, knows how annoying it is when you have to shoot down those A-Wings, because you can just never seem to hit them. Oh, God, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and TIE Advanced and TIE Defenders were the same way when, when you had to take those down. It was just my idea. I just wanted to throw it out there and see what you guys thought about it. Yeah, the kind it really of space like parry. Or space, exactly. Yeah, the, the, the space parry, it would work pretty well. Um, uh, I mean, like I don't think there'd be any issues with it intrinsically it would slow spaceship combat down a lot um i mean it's something it's not something we built in because um it definitely you know it, i think it fits well with lightsabers because you have that back and forth parrying back and forth um but it definitely slows down starship combat a lot um okay. and that's not really something we wanted um in how we wanted starship combat to feel um but i i don't think it would break the game assuming that it was evenly distributed to npcs as well as the pcs who got it um right. so i, well, I think it would be a, a worthwhile house rule by making it cost strain, that immediately removes it from being used by by um, by minions. Right. Minion characters couldn't use it. Rivals could use it, but they basically literally be bleeding themselves dry. And it also gives you a chance for that uh, nemesis level fighter pilot, like a Red Baron, to be able to survive when a, a PC just comes dogging for them. So, just my, like I said, just my two credits, just my two All cents right. out there, folks. You and, heard it uh, here first, GM Phil, game designer. <laughs> Not the first house rule I've made. <laughs> who, does, who doesn't love a house rule, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that pretty much brings us to the end of the book. I did, we didn't have any questions on it, but I did want to call out Chapter 3, Dangerous Sorties. Um, there's a lot of good, useful stuff that you guys put in this section. Absolutely prop, mad props out to who, whoever worked on this area, uh, from the astromech maneuvers to uh, engaging ace players. Dogfighting terrain is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, because I think a lot of people do forget the fact that space is not empty. Right. Well, there's all kinds oh, yeah. of things. So, yeah, that was a, chapter three is a combination of uh, John Cowdes and Sterling Hershey, um, I believe, were the two guys who wrote for chapter three. Um, so I, I think they did a really good job. Yeah. Um, they did I'm a really happy job. with how beast riding rules came out, too. I think they do a really good job of allowing you to convert beast profiles into these riding profiles that, that work and... It allows us to, you can take beasts from any of our other game lines. You know, we don't just have a white list of these are the only beasts you can ride. It's like, oh, I want to yeah. ride this Rancor. All right, just grab the profile, convert it over. Let's roll. Precedent. Precedent. <laughs> and that was the other thing is that, is that we now have, what, like six, seven pages worth of beasts that it's staples mm. that we were missing. You know, Banthas, Awias, Thronta, the Famba, uh, Narglak, Kybux. You guys gave us all the classic mounts. Just Yes. Phenomenal work, and I just wanted to call that out and thank you guys for doing so. 
Oh yeah, that was a fun little uh, bestiary to do. Uh, there was a lot of cool stuff in there. Um, we basically did anything you see somebody riding on screen, whether it be in the Clone Wars or one of the movies. Right. Uh, and I think the list ended up being pretty good. It was, it was perfect. Absolutely perfect. Do you guys have time for a couple other not specifically stay on target questions, but definitely Starship related? I, yeah, totally. I do. Cool. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, first question is actually mine. Um, how do you guys handle linked weapons with limited ammo? If a proton torpedo launcher has limited ammo six and linked one, do you guys reduce the remaining shots by one if you roll two advantage and trigger the linked? Do you have to declare beforehand that you're firing two torps and waste one if they don't roll the required advantage to hit with a second torp? What do you guys do? Um, just spend the ammo uh, for each shot triggered. Yeah. So um, if you just do one shot, you spend one ammo. If you trigger two extra shots on your linked two weapon or whatever, you're going to spend three ammo, ammo total, the original shot and then the two additional. Um, that way it's kind of easy to track. You don't have to like declare beforehand how many shots you're attempting to make or anything like that. So, you mean, narratively cinematic. You mean you don't get yeah. unlimited amount of torpedoes on a ship? No, no, on a on a on a on a star destroyer. Well, dang it! <laughs> yeah, they got some dude out there in a machine shop pounding away with a hammer, making them as needed. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they, they get these huge magazines full of torpedoes, and they're just putting them on a cart, <laughs> rolling them down to the launchers. Some dude is there with a shovel, shoveling them <laughs> in like coal. Right. <laughs> He's got them stacked on a on a pallet jack. <laughs> what what if I what if I know the left right trigger A B code? Do I get unlimited ammo then? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. You function the Konami code on an X wing. That's unlimited torps, buddy. Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> appreciate it. appreciate it. Speaking of cramming things in, uh, PCs love to cram large appropriated equipment like speeder bikes <laughs> and swoops, and land speeders, and even a scout walker or two into their ship's cargo bay. Uh, any general thoughts on the encumbrance value that these vehicles would take up in a cargo bay like that? Any sort of metrics like a silhouette two or three takes up X or Y encumbrance? Mm, I think that varies that, so crazy. Like those silhouettes a, are really of, broad. Yeah, that's a lot um, of GM fiat and common. Yes. Those those big vehicles, it's less about encumbrance value and more about dimensions, and that's just granularity. Yeah. We're really not going to get into. We're not going to tell you the entrance the dimensions to every entrance on your starship i mean right. I, I don't think lfl knows uh the entrance the dimensions to every entrance on every starship so sure. uh right um the gm's gonna ha- kind of have to decide what they think is realistic for their specific situation that right. sounds good That's yeah it's, it's one of those things like can you imagine stuffing an atst in a yt 1300 Yes, only because my PCs are doing it. Where, where, where are they? Where are they going to put it? Are they going to put that? Where are they going to put that? They're going to take the legs off. off Did they take it apart? Is it in a crate? (laughs) Yes, it's in a crate. No, actually, in a crate. If it's in pieces, yes. Basically, what I've got. No, no, they're not, and they're not. Basically, what there is to do it is there. They have to basically have it squat down and get all crammed in, and it's a twenty-minute load and unload procedure. And this thing is taking up three quarters of their cargo bay. Does it lay on so. its back in the cargo bay? Tell me it's just like laid out. <laughs> on a hover sled, yeah, probably. And then they hold oh, they haul it out and set it up and so it's it's not a quick deploy. No, it's right. a I'm like, you guys want this, it's gonna eat up everything. I don't care, I want it. I'm like, all right, fine. I, you know, I, I have an idea. You can you can have one guy with a wand and he can say diminuendo. <laughs> not quite. Okay. All right. All right. And, and, to the top of the ship. Yeah. And yeah. gods save them. When they get hit by customs. 
Uh, yeah, what is this? That, custom, that customs inspector is going to come aboard and say, all right, y'all are in jail. What? No. Yeah. No. Nope. No. <laughs> nope. That's military hardware. Do you guys have a license? No, you, you know what? There are no licenses for that. Y'all are in jail. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have a license for this. The there are no licenses. There are no licenses for this. You're in jail. We found the license it. for this involves a rank in front of your name. That's the license. Yeah. yeah. You don't yeah. need to see or, my yeah, license. I-N at the end of your name, Imperial Navy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, last question, and this is also an encumbrance rating one. Uh, away, put your weapon. Wants to know. I was hoping one of the gentlemen could present, could could comment on the action six bulk transports encumbrance threshold, like more than double that of an N Nebulon B, ten times that of a GR seventy five, and rivaling that of cruisers and star destroyers. Was it meant to be so high at ten thousand? Can you really pack sixty times sixty times more banana boxes into the toll <laughs> than a YT thirteen hundred? Yes, 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 and yes, absolutely. Because the thing is a space lunchbox. It's it is. And the the Action Five is a dedicated yeah. freighter. Yeah. Right. It's all empty space inside. It's just like a, a big Nebulon barge. B. A Nebulon B is a warship. Right. 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 Like. To go go to any ship museum, like go to the USS Milwaukee, which is down in Norfolk, or go to the ship that's in San Diego, or go to the carrier that's in New York, and go aboard those ships and go down in those compartments and see how much room's down there. Right, not that nothing. much. Zip, yeah. They're massive, massive vessels, and there's no room inside of them because they're all machine spaces, they're all we- weapon spaces and magazines, and they're all crew berthing. Yeah, right. And again, they're not they're not dedicated to carry that kind of that kind of equipment. Sorry. And, yeah, and again, it, it's dedicated storage space, not empty space. So we're not like right. telling you, oh, this is how much open air is inside the Nebulon B. We're saying, this is how much the Nebulon B is dedicated to storing your stuff. Um, right. Whereas the Action 6, that's like the entire thing. You know, the handle is like the crew compartment and everything else is just empty for you. And yeah, exactly. have you seen a YT-1300? That thing does not actually have that much storage space. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty terrible yeah. freighter, all things considered. It's a, it's a tractor trailer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those light freighters, those light freighters are like box trucks, straight trucks or tractor trailers. Yeah, you know, they carry what you could pack into a fifty fifty two foot trailer. That's it. The Action Six is a container ship. Exactly. It's the it, Exxon. Well, it, it's Valdez. like look at the GR seventy five. The GR seventy five smaller, and the GR seventy five carries containers. Right. It carries yeah. you know whatever the modular containers, whatever the shipping containers in Star Wars are. Right. You know. Boxes. So it just has to be able to carry those. Very good. Gentlemen, we definitely want to thank you for joining us today. It was an excellent, awesome, and very insightful uh, dive into uh, Stay on Target. And uh, I think it was, as far as the career books goes, I think it's a high mark that the other ones are going to have to hit because you guys knocked it out of the park. Oh, thanks, man. Out of the park. And thanks for having us. I had a good time. I always like coming on the show. Yeah, yeah, it's always fun. That's cool. And now that that we're all uh, videoed, you guys are in. For yeah, that is kind of cool. I got to admit. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> I have mixed feelings on it. I, I don't had know. To completely stopped looking at my face on the screen because it was preoccupying. It was. It was. It was. I was freaking out. Face on the screen. I was just like covering up the bottom. It does get a little narcissistic, doesn't it? At its height, we got a uh, dang near twenty people watching the show. So. Right on. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, Gamer Nation, become a member. Visit us at www.d20radio.com slash forums. Register and post your mind. Leave us a liner. Tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast. And uh, if you have, 
questions, comments, or just general feedback, you can email us. I'm GMPhil at d20radio.com. I'm GM Dave at d20radio.com. And our uh, missing compatriot is GM Chris at d20radio.com. Also, please feel free to phone us and leave us a liner or uh, or anything like a messages from the edge question. Be uh, nice. 262 D20 Radio. That's 262-320-7234. And that's right. Don't be that. Don't. And Just don't be that. Don't be that. Call. All right? Because otherwise, if you and, and also don't be a No. Yeah. Don't be a Don't yeah. be a Exactly. So, you know, that's that's the way it goes. You guys ha- have time to hang around for a little bit of post-show because there's kind of a big football game tomorrow. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, yeah I'm in no hurry. All right. That's that's even more awesomer than awesome is because it's a Saturday night, right? We don't have work tomorrow. So, yeah. all right, good. we'll get to that. I've got some Star Tropics to play. That's about it. Oh. Uh, hang on. Folks. Oh. This podcast and related website are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, the Walt Disney Corporation, 20th Century Fox, or Fantasy Flight Games. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names, pictures, or references to any Star Wars vehicles, characters, or other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited, Fantasy Flight Games, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including in audio, visual, or textual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast and the Gamer Nation LLC. Now you guys can actually see what I'm doing every time that song is playing. <laughs> That's hilarious. Every time, man. Every time. Every. I think we are. Okay, yeah. so post-game, post-show. Post-show post is live. Post-show is live. Oh, by the way, um, yeah, we, we didn't do the typical sign-off thing. We can right? sign off at the end of post-show. What's yeah, good, sure, we can do that. Absolutely, we can. But, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a little football game. The Deflatriots are playing against the um, Seahawks tomorrow. N- none of my teams are in the Super Bowl, and I don't care. The best huh. thing that can come out of that game is an asteroid hits the stadium. Yeah. <laughs> wow! <laughs> got dark. It got dark real fast, man. Holy smokes. That's just I, really awesome. I tell you what, though. I really like Marshawn Lynch. I think he's a hell of a he's a hell of a football player, and I love the fact that he just he's so shy. He doesn't want to talk to the media. He keeps getting in trouble for it. And he's like, I don't care. I'm just I'll just I'm just here so I don't get fined. I, I'm not going to talk to anybody. You know why I'm here. And I love Richard Sherman with his Marshawn Lynch cardboard cutout. <laughs> right? And so what I want to see, I want to see like a buddy road trip movie with Marshawn and Richard Sherman, co-starring Vince Wilfork. <laughs> because I'll tell oh, you what, man. dude, I would, I, I would, I would pay nine dollars and fifty cents just to listen to Vince Wilfork talk about how much he loves uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> <laughs> you guys saw, you guys saw that presser, right, where he came out and like the post game in the SpongeBob SquarePants T-shirt. 
<laughs> I missed that. It was like in, it was like in 2011 or 2012. He comes out and he's in a SpongeBob T-shirt. You know, Will Fork's like nine and a half feet tall, eight nine hundred pounds. He's built like Wreck-It Ralph, right? I don't he's know. Wearing if, this. I don't know if Pardon? you heard, but like at, at, after the uh, the AFC game, uh, the AFC Championship game, he's driving home at midnight, and he came upon a Jeep that had that had driven off yeah. the road on yeah. its side. Yep. And yes. he's a, he just reached over with one arm, reached one arm into the Jeep, and just pulled Pull this girl out. out. Yep. And, and, save you. and she was she was so drunk. She was like three yeah. times. Yeah. yeah. And she had Jesus she had just bought a jersey of his. Yes. Yep. <laughs> I don't know but if yeah. I was gonna buy it, but I guess but, I will. But that, yeah, that, that whole SpongeBob thing, man. It's like the, like the first half a dozen questions the reporters asked him, Well, why SpongeBob, Vince? And Vince is like Vince is like, Who doesn't like SpongeBob? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I got kids, man. So whatever's on TV is either like sports or SpongeBob. Yeah. And who doesn't like SpongeBob? Who doesn't? It's for the kids, man. All the, the kids. kids. I love it. Yep. But like I said, neither of my teams are in the Super Bowl, so I just don't care. That's all right. One of my teams would have made the Super Bowl, but they uh, they ran out of talent. Their defensive coordinator decided <laughs> to just try and sit on the ball. Uh, who was that? Uh, this would have this would be uh Dom Capers for Green Bay uh when oh, he had when he had Seattle yeah. uh at uh, second and twenty one. That was no sad. second and thirty. Right. He went into the prevent, let him gain, you know, eleven yards or whatever, and then 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 third and nineteen they get a twenty five, twenty six yard pass up the middle. I'm like, what? And he and he's rushing three. I'm like, dude, as soon as that happened, I was I was at my brother in law's house and I've said, I think they're gonna lose this game. I turn around. I think I think we're gonna lose this game. And my brother-in-law's like, "Oh no, this thing is, this thing is 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 dead, right?" And the game's not over. Until yeah, and I'm like, you know what? We have had so many chances to put Seattle away. They gave us the game, gave us the game. And the, I mean, you can't be at the one yard line twice and get two field goals out of it. You just can't against Seattle. So you know, I mean, that's. That's the anybody. end of the day. That's it. Yeah, no. I mean, at the end of the day, that's it. You know, you can't. You just can't squander the opportunities. You know, and that's exactly. it. It is what it is. I. I don't. Uh, you know, they made a. They made a good. Uh, they made a good comeback. Seattle got it together, and and I doubt they play that badly again. If they do, New England will just maul them. But uh, yeah, that game was inflated balls and all. Inflated balls and all. <laughs> oh God. That's right. Well, that's my right. local Still- team had very little chance. This, uh, so the yeah. Vikings, yeah. Uh, unfortunate. Oh, Vikings. <laughs> See, you know, I think it's really funny that you know, since this whole deflation thing, right? The, the rule came in 2006, and since 2006, the Patriots have have not fumbled the ball like to the order of twice as 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 less frequently as any other team, right? So they're an outlier from statistic. Did you know? And I'm sure you can go back and see this, but you know, they've won all these games, but they haven't won a Super Bowl. Since the rule change, because the Super Bowl balls are not provided by the teams. Yeah, nope. is there something to it? Mm? Uh, there's a lot not. of reasons to hate the Patriots. Probably not. Many. Yeah, but the, I mean, they ha- so it's, it's not like they've been <laughs> in all the Super Bowls and then lost them. You know, they're not the I, Buffalo just, Bills of twenty. The, the whole Deflate Gate thing was so dumb. It was. It was weird. It, it was. Roger so Goodell dumb. got everything he wanted. He got dude, everything he wanted out of that. Dude, don't even get me started on Roger Goodell. Yeah, right. Seriously. Are you are you gonna go I'll 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 play you some opinionated music if you want. No. <laughs>
no, I'm super opinionated. Okay. In my opinion, uh, my opinions about the NFL and then Roger Goodell get more and more profane as they go along. So, uh oh. <laughs> well, you are, you, are you saying that that's what he is? We'll just we'll just say that I sort of fell out of love with with football over the past couple of years. Oh, I'm all I out of love. And I used to be like I w- I've always been more a college ball fan than an NFL fan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. I don't oh. see. I don't get college football. I don't get college football because to me, you're rooting for colors. You're not rooting for players. <laughs> you're rooting, you're rooting for a team. You're rooting for a, a, a team and a tradition. Yeah. You know, as opposed to individual players. Yeah. I think college um, ball also has some really interesting uh, behavior on the field that you don't see in the NFL. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some they, they they try things that the NFL won't try, and I, I like that about it. Yeah. But I agree that it doesn't have the strong personalities that NFL does, so there's that factor that's not as appealing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, even, you know, even, it, it does, though. You know, I mean, Elvis Gerbach, everybody knew who Elvis Gerbach was. Um, Elvis. Well, okay, everybody in Ann Arbor did. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, I have a, I, I have a, uh, a friend who has a, you guys know who Elvis Gerbach is, right? Of course. He was, yeah, he was a Michigan quarterback. Uh, he actually, he actually tried on a friend of mine at a busy restaurant on a Saturday after a home game, right? When everybody does a thousand covers a night, a, a cover is a plate in a restaurant, you know, so they're doing, a, they're doing a thousand butts and seats a night. And Gerbach walked in and it was a two and a half hour wait. And he said, don't you know who I am? <laughs> and my buddy was like, I know exactly who you are, Mr. Gerbach. And that waits two and a half hours. <laughs> That's right, and I'm nice. a, and I am a Buckeyes sorry, fan. <laughs> yeah, sorry, buddy, I'm a U of M alum, and you're still gonna wait two and a half hours. That's right. Wow, long live Notre Dame. Yeah, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I, I totally get it. But um, switching gears for a second, I um, we are uh, just about a month away from Gamer Nation Con. Yes, yes. Where is it? And cripes, did my session sell out without even advertising dude it, it it oversold man i mean yes, it did. <laughs> yeah it, it was it, it went really really quickly uh so gamer nation con is kind of like our own little homegrown convention that's grown to about 150 180 200 people all right so it's down in dallas yeah it's here in dallas in plano plano texas at the dallas games yeah, marathon plano. facility yeah and uh so we've actually got sam stewart coming down from ffg is he really yes and um, Keith Cap will be here, I th- and we're we're hoping Ryan will be here. But uh, you know, um, aside from that, we've got uh, Sam Whitwer. You know, um, if you guys know him, the the third most famous person to ever be on our podcast, and um, <laughs> and uh, be- behind, of course, um, his friend Chuck Hershus and uh, Frank Darabont. So. Uh, yeah, Frank. Ever ever since ever since The Walking Dead came out, Frank Darabont's stock just kind of went up even more in my mind. Aside from the fact that the Shawshank Redemption is like my favorite movie ever. But um, anyway, Whitworth's coming and uh, Chloe Dykstra. Do y'all know who Chloe Dykstra is? Name sounds familiar. She's uh, an- she's real big in the anime community, right? And uh, it happens to be Whitworth's cosplay. Girl- yeah, cosplay. She's a uh, uh, she's real big. Um, actually, uh, she's uh, Whitworth's girlfriend. So. We kind of got a package deal there, <laughs> and uh, and then uh, and then Natalie Cox, so yes. coming over from across the pond. Juno Eclipse herself. Juno Eclipse. Yep. So we're gonna have a we're gonna have a Force Unleashed reunion at the uh, at our little uh, at our little uh, convention. So it's really gonna be kind of cool. It's, it's gonna be fun. March sixth, seventh, and eighth. There are still about twenty two tickets remaining. As of right now, last show there were fifty. 
Today, there are 22. I would suspect that uh, by the time next show comes, we might be saying it's sold out. Could be. Yeah. Could be so, on holiday. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you want to take it, GamerNationCon.com. Scroll down about halfway. There's a big green button that says buy a ticket and buy one. I just got to keep knocking on wood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sterling 2 is coming. Sterling Hershey's going to be here, too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that cool. was a late edition. Yeah. So, yeah. Sterling will be here. I like yeah. Sterling. Thanks, Keith. Keith is Keith awesome. in the chat. So. Wish I could hang out with Sterling more. Yeah. Yeah. Sterling's awesome. And yeah, he, and Sterling even said he would run D&D <laughs> if we wanted him to. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Okay. We know exactly who's going to be at this convention. If we're going to have Sterling Hershey running a game, you know, I mean, what system should it be? And of course, we all came up with Mouse Guard. So he's going to be running. Mouse yeah. Guard. There you go. So, nice. <laughs> but yeah, we've got some, we've got some, uh, some VIP that we, we sold some high dollar tickets, you know, for VIPs that get free drinks and all that. But yeah, they're going to be in for a great little game because they're going to get to sit with Sam and Sam. And, uh, we might even try to sh- uh, shoehorn sh- Sterling in there with them too. And, um, uh, although that, that already pretty much is full just with Sam and Sam and, and, uh, mm. and the five, uh, five V, uh, what do we call Seven them? PCs. MVGs? MVGs? Oh. Well, no, MVGs, we'll, what you call them? Yeah, we'll MVGs. Call them MVGs. Yeah, I, and uh, Sam and Sam haven't haven't quit fighting over who's going to GM the game yet. So, um, um, so we're going to just let them fight it out. But yeah, so the five MVGs and one of the Sams as the PCs, and then the other Sam's going to be the GM. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my buddy GM Hooli just joined the chat. Master crafter of that wonderful starship sheet. Ah, yes. It's kicking around our forums. Oh, both of ours actually. Dude, it is cool. That is an awesome sheet. I love the fact that he made the uh, the speed ten plaid. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tooling around have your you, forums too, isn't it? On the FFG forums. Yep. Have you it guys is. seen the? Speaking of plaid, gone plaid. Have you guys seen the uh, um, Eagle One Space Winnebago uh, that's uh, sized for X Wing? Yes. Yes, I have. Yeah, and he mounted it on like a base and everything. Yeah, yeah. It's really awesome. So good. I want one so bad. Oh, wow. I didn't, I've missed it, but I can just, I, as soon as you said it, it popped up in my head of what that's going to look like. That's awesome. All this, all this is available now that we've got 3D printers. Yes. It's all because of 3D printers, man. Yep. (laughs) Oh. That's so awesome. Hey, so uh, did you, have you guys gotten to play XCOM yet? Now that you're, you know, speaking to the Fantasy Flight guys? The, the board games? Yeah. The board Did, game. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've definitely played it. I haven't played it. I, I just I wanted to play that so bad at Gen Con. I just, I, I couldn't wait through the lines. I, I could, yeah, I couldn't get in there either. I just got mine delivered. Um, I, I picked it up. Actually, um, I got one delivered that I didn't know I was getting, um, after I'd bought one. So I have two now. <laughs> but, um, I, I, I uncorked it and, and started going through the app and it just looks amazing. I just can't wait to, to play it. Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah. It's it's really it, it creates a lot of really cool interactions. You know, it, where you're playing different roles, running right. uh, the XCOM organization, where you know you start getting really pissed at like the science officer is being cavalier with spending. You know, and like the the accountant's just like, you know, you can't do that, man. And he's like, I want to research what I want, and like uh, all sorts of amazing interactions with your friends. <laughs> you can't stop science. Science. <laughs> yes. But yeah, it, it looks, it, you know, being a cooperative and all that, it looks, it looks really good. And I've, uh, you know, I've, uh, I've been fortunate enough to meet Eric Lang on a couple of occasions. But uh, you know, this looks like, uh, this looks like uh, another fine uh, piece of work from him. But uh, 
XCOM, Imperial Assault, and Armada. I have three games from you guys I just have to get. Oh my god, Armada is totally my jam. It, it oh, totally I bet, is. yeah. yeah. Give, I, give I think all your capital ship combat. I may I, have I, to. I resisted X-Wing because I justified it as, okay, I, I'd be sinking hundreds of dollars into it, and realistically, ho- how many times would I have a chance to play it being right. literally out? I'm about a good half hour t- at least from anybody I'd I'd be able to play with. Most of my friends are about an hour's drive away. So realistically, I, I just... with my wife. I don't have that option. Yeah, <laughs> I don't either. She's very supportive of my hobbies, but she's only supportive of them. Right. <laughs> she doesn't partake in them. Now, have, I didn't even get to see this. Was it at Gen Con? What, yeah, Armada? Yeah, Armada? yeah, yeah. We, we yeah. had a couple tables running it. So is it, really is, cool. is it using some of the same core mechanics that X-Wing did, or is it just... Uh, kind of. Um, there, there's some similarities. Uh, it doesn't take any mechanics directly. Um, it's a bit heavier. You know, we wanted to really simulate the, like, uh, big ships. So it uses maneuvers, except the maneuver... In, instead of uh, the different templates, you have the single ruler device that actually can like click to different settings um to represent how maneuverable your ship is and as your ship gets faster it gets less maneuverable and harder to turn and stuff okay um there's like facings and each facing has different guns on it Um, right okay so yeah this is this is going to kind of scratch my itch of both a, a naval type combat game and a space combat game and I yeah, think. it definitely feels yeah a lot more naval in that yeah. way. Less like dogfighting and more just like large ships turning and firing their batteries on each mm-hmm. other and things like that. Right. Yeah. And uh, there was a game, and I, I'm it, I'm going to blank on the name, but um, but uh, Cryptozoic, I think, put it out, and it was a it was just a beautifully done old naval warship game and i love that it. it was so freaking expensive but um and i didn't get it i saw it at gen con like two or three years ago and um so i i just didn't pull the trigger on it but this one i i just have a feeling i don't know what the msrp is i'm assuming it's going to be a 100 bucks or north of there Probably. but I, i'm just going to have to uh i'm just going to have harpoon, to uh, is it uh it might oh i don't know i don't remember you know what if i google it real quick i can probably tell you Oh no, Harp- Harpoon's a video game. Oh, is it? And a beer. Well, yeah. Mm. Anyway, um. Oh, but now, I mean, looking at the fighter, look, not the fighters, but looking at the ships, the cap ships that are involved in Armada, I'm just like, looks so good. Ugh. <sighs> the models are awesome. As soon as I saw the Gladiator, I was like, I know. Oh, my God, I know. Oh, the gladiator looks so good. It all looks so good. Uh, I'm looking at my, de- I'm looking at around my house going, what other old hobby or collection do I never use anymore that I can liquidate on eBay for this? Phil, <laughs> Phil, yeah. what's the X, Phil, what's the X-Wing behind you that's standing on its tail? Uh, that is the, um, uh, that's the, it was from about 10 years ago. It's the fully, uh, electronic one. If it's got the oh, batteries okay. in it, they, they, they pop out Luke's in there and you can pull the lever and R2's head spins and it has like 16 different, uh, lines from Star Wars. Oh, um, right it's, the, it's the action figure one. Okay. I couldn't tell what it was. Yeah. No, it's one I've, of my, I've many just got my, uh, I've got my Lego one at my desk. Awesome. I've got my, my Lego ones up there. Ooh, Gotta have the Lego one. Of, Here's this is my this is the favorite part of my spaceship toys. It's my Speaking favorite of plaid. <laughs> there it is. Ooh. Oh, you, that's the a, one you talked about. This is an original one from the eighties. Oh man. Oh man. man. It's got the pilot in it. <laughs> oh, 
I never had one of those. I had the pilot, but right, I never, right. could, never could uh, convince my folks to get me the the fighter. It's it's actually a buddy of mine got it for me about ten fifteen years ago. Cool. He found it. You know, it's not worth anything, but it's totally rad. Oh, I'm sure it's worth something. Yeah, it's not, not shape, what though. you think it's worth, but I'm sure it's worth something. Well, it's worth. It's priceless to me because that's like right. I said B wing, best wing. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, anything else to discuss tonight, gentlemen? I don't know. We can talk about more spaceships. We, of course, <laughs> we can talk about. It. We I was so pissed it. I missed that ge- that show, but I was just absolutely fried from running twelve hours of Star Wars game. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy talk. Hey, it's <laughs> that okay. was the only time I could do it. Both parties. Were, I'm running a game with two parties: a a, a six person we're rebel guerrilla team fighters and. Uh, another five person, we're all force users, Imperial Knights and Jedi Knights. It's Legacy mm-hmm. era. And so I'm like, okay, so when can we run? I'm long, I'm starting this off on the weekend of January 3rd. I'm like, okay, who can make this one? Uh, and the, the rebel group went, yeah, we can do it. I'm like, okay, great, wonderful. All right. Uh, my force user group, when can we all get together? And one of the players in it is my stepson, who's 17 and runs track. And he's like, well, I've got Sunday track meets all through January, so either it's the first weekend or we don't play until mid-February. And I'm like, oh, God. Ugh. So you're telling me I don't, I can't run you guys until mid-February. This is like mid-December when I'm, when I'm set this up. I'm, it's either two weeks from now or two months from now. I can do this. <laughs> I can do this. I can do this. And it was, it was awesome. It was a blast. They loved it. Everyone's, everyone's chomping at the bit for the next ones. And, and I just had nothing left in the tank for the show you did, but it was an awesome show. It was absolutely fun, man. Thank you for coming on for that. Cause it was very informative for custom ships. Oh, it was super fun. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Listening to what you, you know, listening to your advice and how you go about putting the ships together was very, uh, was very handy because you know, it's, I'm running Legacy Era, so it's all about reskinning and and but what best fits because these are ships that you guys are they're like 130 years away from what you guys are the the era that you guys are mostly working in at this but, time. But strangely enough, they all look the same. How odd! <laughs> yeah, you just reskin it easy, especially when you just look at Wik- uh, Wikipedia or the the book from the last iteration of the game. You kind of compare and contrast. And go, okay, this is this on a TIE Interceptor, so on a TIE Predator, yeah, slap some shields on it, it's good to go. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so I was way wrong, it wasn't Cryptozoic, it's called Sails of Glory. Oh, Sails of Glory, yeah! Yeah, yeah, and uh, it, it's, uh, according to Board Game Geek, Ares Games put it out. I don't know why... I, I, I know, I, I know for sure it was at the, it was at the Cryptozoic booth. Because I remember I was talking with Rhett Kip at the time I saw the game, and I know Rhett lives lives works with Cryptozoic, so maybe um, Crypto's distributing it. Uh, maybe it, it's entirely possible that that they may. It, uh, so it was, uh, yeah. But it, I mean, if you've seen, if you if you haven't seen Sales of Glory, the, the the miniatures that come along with that game are just incredibly detailed. If if, if yeah. you've ever seen, I mean, they're just they're just. They're amazingly beautiful, and and it's it's you know sixteen seventeen hundreds era ships, you know the old massive sails, and that you know. Speaking of, there's a really great video game that's in alpha right now called um, Naval Combat, and it's by the 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 guys that do War Thunder and World of Tanks. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is, you know, late 18th, early 19th century Age of Sail sea combat, and it is fantastic. It's it's basically Master and Commander, the video game. That yeah, sounds yeah. awesome. I, I think World of Tanks is, is very well done, so oh those God, guys I jumping into naval World combat. And, like, naval combat is something that a lot of games try, but not a lot of games get right. No, so. they, they've they've got it down. I, I loved World of Tanks, but I stopped playing it. When I stopped playing it, uh, it was still super fun to be an artillery tank. And I, oh, God, I love playing artillery tank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to hide in this bush, and I'm going to shoot these really big shells and make people mad. And, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. That's I'm not sure that would. Feels so good. What well, are the games that you guys playing these days? Tabletop, computer, console, what? I just got done with uh, playing uh, b- before the show. I was playing a bunch of Smite with my friends, which is a uh, it's kind of a, a MOBA like League of Legends that's uh, like third person kind of action based. It's mm-hmm. interesting. My uh, my wife is uh, mad at me because I play Hearthstone too much, uh, <laughs> like right before bed on my laptop. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and she, I mean, she doesn't hear, you know, she doesn't, at least, <laughs> you know, imagine how mad she would be if, uh, if, uh, all of a sudden she's just about to sleep and all of a sudden, Pazdinga! <laughs> she hits the table. Oh, God, I would get punched in the eye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, for, uh, I've been playing a lot of X-Wing, either with my friends or with my wife. Nah. And then, um, man, I'm really into this new D&D. Dude, yeah. yeah. I'm stoked about D&D 5. I didn't know I wanted that game. Yeah. I didn't know I wanted a new D&D game, and then I played it with... Fisher, were you in that game that we played at the end of Gen Con? Um, I was there. Uh, I wasn't part of the group, because it was already so enormous. I was like, "Eh, I'll just be there. Massive, epic game. It was so funny. Wow. Uh, um, And then... Yeah, just... When I said earlier that I got some Star Tropics to play, I'm not joking. I've never played Star Tropics before. Uh, so I, I grabbed it on virtual. I grabbed it on the virtual console for the Wii. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's great. That's a classic, man. Yeah, and just Can't like like I grabbed. Uh, my wife likes a lot of like turn-based and real-time strategy games. Yeah. So oh I, yeah. I grabbed. I grabbed her um, Tropico Five and uh, um, Civ Beyond Earth for Christmas. Uh, and, uh, oh, Beyond Earth yeah. is rad. Yeah, I really like Beyond Earth. Yeah. You know, I want to play Beyond Earth, but I'm thinking about it going, I don't have time. Yeah. I barely ha- I'm still heavy into the, the Order of 66, our, our MMO guild for, um, uh, Star Wars The Old Republic. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, any, any free time I've got, I, if I'm not writing for my games or, 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 or playing that, I really should be spending it with my wife so that I can keep up my wife faction. Yeah. Yeah. The, that faction. the thing with, now, because there there aren't a lot of uh, there aren't a lot of D- or there's no DLC for it, um, a uh, Beyond Earth game plays way quicker than a Civ Five game. Yeah. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. Yeah, it does play a lot faster. Yeah. Would you say that that's a detriment to it then, or no. would you? Uh, it's still pretty. It's still pretty immersive. Yeah. It also makes it easier to actually like multiplayer with people live. Yeah. Um, without like doing it over a multiple day excursion. True. Um, Another a... uh, awesome forex uh, strategy game along the lines of Civ. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Endless Legend. Yeah, um, uh, I have Endless Space. Yes, uh, that was their like first kind of foray into it. Yeah. Endless Legend is more like Civ style. It, it's fantasy, um, 
And they did a lot of really cool things with it, and it's a lot more narrative-driven. You have There's actually a victory condition, which is complete your plot quest, and there's this really epic plot quest that you can complete with your... And you have hero characters that can go out and complete quests for this plot. Um, in addition to all the normal victory conditions, it's... I, I think... It's a really good contender to, like, Civ, which has kind of stu- stood as the golden standard. I, I think they're doing yeah. a really good job with it. Sounds funky. I kind of dig that. Hey, yeah, so... yeah, you should look it up. It has a really cool art style, too. It kind of, when you zoom out, it looks like a paper map, and yeah. I'm still one of these guys who occasionally fires up the Master of Magic. Don't know if you ever remembered that game. <laughs> uh, no, it was this really. wicked old, old, like, turn-of-the-processor game. Where it was, um, it was a, it was a forex strategy game. It was kind of like, uh, Masters of Orion, except set in fantasy. Um, you know, it was also hot when magic first started coming out. So it had five schools of magic, uh. um, that you learned and you unlock spells, summoned monsters. It was a blast. You can get it on good old games. I, I, I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> it's wicked old. It's like 20 years old at this point, but it was awesome. Speaking of good old games, did you guys grab X-Wing and TIE Fighter? When they, oh yeah, when they've been, Gog released them? They've just been dumping all sorts of LucasArts games on I there know. lately. Oh, look, Alliance. There goes February. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, Sam and Max. Oh, yeah. They, they, I was oh, wondering I if they were going to get to those Sam guys. Yeah, you and, know, uh, I, hadn't played, I hadn't played X-Wing or TIE Fighter in forever. And, mm. uh, man, TIE Fighter is the superior product. It so is. Mm-hmm. It so is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It always was. So, hey, returning to D&D 5 for a second. Um, yeah. The... Um, one of the guys behind that was is Rodney Thompson, right? Who used to be our um, go-to guy when Watsy had the license when we were back doing the the Saga, Saga. edition. Right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's um for our Gamer Nation Con. He's not going to be able to come, but um he's sending us as prizes um a, a couple of signed copies of uh, Lords of Waterdeep and uh, the sculpt the Skullport ex- expansion. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. So. Uh, you know what I would love to see? I really want to see a D&D 5 version of Spelljammer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I love I, Spelljammer. They, they need... That... that. You want to talk about whacked out concepts. I, I, I got I, I to... I'm so embarrassed. Crazy. I'm embarrassed. I didn't get it at the time. Neither when Spelljammer I. first came out, the, my, the era and mindset that I was in, I looked at Spelljammer and went, this is dumb. Absolutely it's dumb. It's not, though. But, I mean, it's yeah. dumb, it's stupid, but it's fantastic. Giant miniature space hamsters. Giant Not mi- even that. I mean, it's like the you know the GIF or the 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 Neoji you know who uh, who keep you know Umber Hulks as pets. Yeah, you know, giant living manta ray ships with laser tails, with huge cities on their backs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The Age of Sail I, in Space with Lasers. Yes! What do you want? No, you're right, though. I would love to see an updated Spelljammer. That would be awesome. So good. Mm. Well, gentlemans, um, again, we appreciate you guys coming on, dude. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having us, man. That was a really nice yeah. little dis- uh, post-show, post-show discussion that's, that spanned the gamut from regular good old football to board games and video games and such it was nice uh it's good chatting with you guys we'll uh, we'll do it again i'm sure soon wrap it up dave yeah i think we'll wrap up i think right. i think we will well then i'll uh for the order 66 podcast this is gm phil may the dice be with you and peace love and good gaming on behalf of gm chris and keep them dice rolling 
and good night and good luck.